Hi, this is Jalen for Dobbs, where tire buying is easy. At GoToDobbs.com, shop brands, sizes, pricing, and our amazing deals. With 40-plus locations, get same-day install. For tires, it's Dobbs. For deals you can use, click on GoToDobbs.com now. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Time now for the BK and Ferrario podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. But I'm telling you, from a potential standpoint, Scott Prunovich looks so much like Quinn Hughes. It is, it is insane. I mean, Chris Kerber on the call a couple nights ago, we kept calling him Tory Krug on the power play, and I kept hitting him. I'm like, listen, it's not Krug, it's Prunovich. But the point was, he looks so much like Krug, the way he moves his hips and the way he gets out of trouble. And you think he's cornered, but then he escapes it and he finds that lane. That's the creativity of him. And I think if he goes in the minors, plays a lot of games, he's going to come up and he's going to be quite a player. I don't think we're going to have a Kale McCarr. But can we have something close to Quinn Hughes? I really think we can with this kid. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. You've got BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. That was Joey Vitale. Was that two years ago? It was a while Talking ago. Talking about Scott Perunovich and what he brings to the ice for the Blues. The last time that we saw him up with the NHL squad was towards the end of the 2022 season, of course. And Alex, he is now going to have another opportunity with the St. Louis Blues. The reason why is because it was announced earlier today that Tory Krug is going to be out until uh. at least October 1st. Out. The Blues announced via Twitter that Tory Krug hurt his foot while he was training for the upcoming season. Great. He's going to be reevaluated. So this doesn't necessarily mean coming back, but reevaluated on October 1st. That still gives him a little bit of runway to be available for the start of the season, Alex. But for training camp, you would anticipate that Scott Perunovich will get serious opportunity, even in the top four of the Blues defensive core going into camp. He should be on that top power play unit. He's going to have for the Blues what all these young pitchers have had over the last month for the Cardinals. An opportunity to fail or to succeed. Now, for the Cardinals, Matthew Libertor has been relegated to the bullpen. We've seen Dakota Hudson up and down, but mostly Easy. prove who he is. We've seen Drew Rom fail. And we saw Ugh. Zach Thompson take advantage of his opportunity. He's now probably going to be in their plans going into 2024. This is the opportunity for Scott Perunovich to go down one of those paths. And now it's up to him. It's always been about health with him. Now he's going to have the opportunity to find his way into the lineup. What would you think when you saw this about Tori Krug, Alex? Scott Perunovich has to be the happiest guy, and you never want to be happy for somebody's injury. But if you're Scott Perunovich going into training camp, you knew you had to work hard to outperform three, maybe four guys just to get into the conversation of making the opening night roster. You were pretty much projected to start in the AHL, and then if something happened, if you continued to dominate and stayed healthy, you'd be up. 
Now it looks like if Scott Pernovich can stay healthy, you're going to be starting in the top four, top six at the very minimum. And like you mentioned, you're on the number one power play. And for him, a guy who's played 19 NHL games since what? 2019. Like he was drafted in 2018. And in 2019, he played the 19 or so games and then was, has been dealing with injuries. He's got the offensive talent to me. Scott Perutovich now has to take this. I would not be surprised if 75% of the preseason game, Scott Perutovich is in the lineup. He's going to be playing almost every single night. And if I'm him, I'm saying I want to be playing every single night Absolutely. because I got to prove that I'm healthy and I can stay healthy against the other team's top players. And I also have to prove that I can do what Tory Krug did and when slash if Tory Krug is healthy come October 1st and they say October 10th on opening night, he's good to go. If Scott Pernovich performs well, the question that you posed yesterday, T-Mone, of can you play with these two in the lineup? We'll find out because if Scott Pernovich plays well enough through preseason, he doesn't come out of that lineup. He earns his spot because of Tory Krug's injury. It's the Wally Pip syndrome. Yeah, and my reaction when... I saw the news was this is the best chance the Blues are going to have to evaluate what they have in Scott Peronovich. And because what you said, he's probably going to play most of the preseason games and not only play those, but he's going to be getting the opportunity probably on that top power play unit during training camp and in preseason games to see what he looks like. Can he be the, the uh, power play general kind of like Tory Krug is at the top of the point there? So I think this is the best chance that the Blues have had maybe ever to potentially look at what Scott Pernovich is since they've had him in. Now, I still do wonder what happens if Krug is healthy come opening night, if they will play both of those guys, even if Pernovich does have a good camp, because I just don't know if you can have both those guys in the lineup at the can. same time. Like I, I don't think it's as big of an issue as we're discussing, as long as Perunovic is good. But it comes down to whether or not he's good, man. Like if if Perunovic, you see something from him in the preseason and in camp that suggests to you, okay, this guy can be a legit top six player for us. Why not have him on the ice over a Scandella or a Bortuzzo or Tyler Tucker? Like if those guys are keeping Scott Perunovic out of the lineup, that tells me more about Scott Perunovic than it does anything else. I, I understand it, that it's different stylistically. Yeah. And those guys bring a little bit more physicality. And certainly with Scandella, he's got the length that you don't have with uh, Perunovic, but we've seen how much the game has changed in the NHL over the last couple of seasons. If Perunovic brings enough offense, you figure it out. You figure it out from there, man. And now I'm putting the defensive liability side of things on the right side defenseman. The question is the roles that they play. And if you have both of them in the lineup, you have to think of your penalty killers and you're going to have to have four penalty killers. We know Pareko and Falk are going to be two of those guys. Scandell is the other one. If you have Krug and Perunovic in the lineup, who's the fourth? Because you don't feel good about Krug or Pernovich on the penalty kill. Maybe you can argue Letty, but Letty's not playing if you've got Scandella in there. And now you're talking about who's that right-sided guy. And that's where the Bortuzzo or the Tucker come into play. You've got to have one of Bortuzzo or Tucker in the lineup so that they can Maybe be penalty Nick killers. Scratch then. And that's what I've said all along. Like, per- I don't know why we're trying to make him the this sacred cow for the Blues. Nick Letty doesn't have to play. If Perunovich performs well uh, and health is on the blue side it would not surprise me if close to 50 percent of this season either krug or letty are healthy scratches yeah especially letty like with tory krug he's just a better player than nick letty i'm sorry man he is he, he's a more talented version of nick letty nick letty was brought in here at the when we first heard about nick letty the idea of him in this blues lineup it was exit zone or his own 
zone. You'll the get exit passes. We got there eventually. <laughs> um, and the power play ability, right? He was yep. supposed to be a guy that could quarterback the power play. Well, and then he, he was never used like, like <laughs> 10 minutes. They're like, yo, this guy is way too slow with his decision making. We cannot do this anymore. They're like, oh, this was a bad idea. They replaced him with Colton Pareko for a period of time. I was like, what are we doing Colton here, Pareko's guys? Colton has got a slap shot. So, yeah, if, if Nick... If last year they can have Marco Scandella as a healthy scratch sometimes, then what's the difference between him and Nick Letty? It's $4 million versus what, 3.2? Don't play because of the contract. Play the best players. And if you find out that Scott Perunovic is a better player than Nick Letty, then he should be getting those opportunities over Nick Letty. It's not like he's some like stalwart defensively. Yeah. He's not out there pushing people away from your own net. Both of them are defensive liabilities. If you get some more offense from Perunovic, cool. That's great. The other thing that I wanted to bring up, because yesterday I was listening to the Blues Cues, which you can hear daily on the fast lane, and somebody asked Jeremy Roth or Jeremy Rother, Jamie Rivers rather, who the most indispensable player is for the 2023 St. Louis Blues. And they brought up the idea that it was Jordan Bennington. I think that's the correct answer, unfortunately. Okay, when you said earlier in the office that I think you're going to agree with who he picked, spot on, my man. The best answer you could have given. It's like saying Rodgers is the indispensable jet. Oh, I mean. Oh, wait. If you want to talk about a goalie for most teams, that's probably the correct answer. Tory Krug obviously is not the most indispensable Blues player for this team. I mean, the general manager tried to trade him in the offseason, so I think he told you with his actions, not his words. Not exactly an indispensable player what are you for the roster. About, man? Other than trying to trade an indispensable player for another indispensable player. Other than better, though. Who would be the guy that if they went down, you'd say, Alex, your expectations in every possible way change for the 2023 Blues? Who is the wow. most indispensable non-goaltender on this team in your mind? I mean, you could come up with three or four different guys. I would. I know a lot of people would say Pavel Buchnevich, but here's the thing. You've played without Pavel Buchnevich the last couple of years, and you've still found How'd success. Well, two years ago, you were good with, without him still. Last year, it weren't good, but let's be honest, you were bad with him in the lineup too. I, if you lose Jordan Cairo, yeah, it's going to lose a lot of goals, but you're also got, you've got more goal scores. Honestly, it's either Shen or Thomas for me. Shen more so in the leadership role that he provides, which, hey, the Blues say no not going to give you a captain, but, you know, you're still a leader because the I letters don't matter here. By the that. way, two other teams just named captains, so the list keeps dwindling as we move on through the offseason. Anyway. C stands for co-captains. That's okay. true. C stands, for, C stands for friendship, and that's what the locker room's for. Yeah. Or Thomas, and Thomas in, in terms of he's the guy you're relying upon in all situations, and I am expecting a big year out of Robert Thomas. If you lose him, how many playmakers do you have on this team? So those would be the two that I would say are pretty – Tony LaRusso style tied for first place and indispensable players. See, I think I would go with Booch because I didn't think they were that good without him in the lineup last year. And I think now it is fair to say they weren't good in How general. How were they with him in the lineup? Well, that's fair too. But he's an all-around player. He's a goal scorer. He's a distributor. He plays pretty well defensively, plays some defensive-minded, is the best penalty killer in Blues history, according to our guy Brandon Kiley. He's, he's absolutely I, not right, but go I, ahead. I think he probably is the guy that is the most indispensable blue and i think he just helps complement that top line of thomas and cairo like thomas and cairo probably should not be on a line together if the if they don't have pavel Buchnik. that's a really good point you can't have those guys no. together those that's guys actually can't play point. together um it's like marner and matthews they don't play together for a reason like they move them around they put like yeah, but marner's good defensively uh, yeah sure 
You don't think Marner? I think he's okay. I think he's okay defensively. I mean, he's a Selkie Trophy candidate every year. Yeah. I don't think he's that great defensively. Okay. I, I feel like when we talked about Marner to the Blues, one of the selling I mean, points I was, him. hey, this guy's really good defensively. It's not I mean, Hot Take Tuesday over I mean, there. I wanted him. I'm just not going to. damn, man. All right. He's still in Maple Leaf, and oh, therefore yeah, no. now he's terrible defensively. Oh, yeah. No, no, no. Yeah, he's, he's, he's good defensively. Awesome, he's a great defensive player. I mean, player. he's good. Um, Maybe it's Nylander and Matthews. That's why those guys don't play together. <laughs> can I can I make a case that it... Is Colton Pareko? Yeah. Sure. <laughs> hey! <laughs> high five, man. All what right. happened to you? You take a if week off. Goes down, what is this team defensively? I mean, they weren't good defensively with him Correct. last year. Yeah, but, but what now are they imagine without, without. Like what? Eh. There's the, two. There's two guys that I can make that because Falk I would put in that same category. Sure, one of those two. If those, if one of those two goes down, dude, your defensive core yeah. looks terrible. You're bleep. People, it that, already looks terrible. pretty bad. Oh. You have a ceiling with those two guys, yeah. though. If they can re-get, like two years ago, we were talking about Falk, at least Alex was, as a Norris Trophy candidate. Three years ago, we were talking about Pareko, and if you squinted, you could see where they came up with the alpha idea, mm-hmm. right? I disagreed with it at the time. I continue to disagree with it now. Yeah, but back I can to at back least years, understand yeah. why they went that route. There's ceiling to be had with those two players. That's it, though. There ain't no other player on that defensive core that you could sit here and dream about of what they could be in a hypothetical scenario. The rest of the lineup is what it is. So if you go into next season and you have a significant period of time where, th- where you're without Pareko or Falk, that penalty kill is going to be an atrocity again. Oh my God, yeah. And defensively, I don't think you have anybody that can even come close to replacing what they bring to the table. I know everybody's disappointed with both players, especially with Pareko, and it's fair. But if you lose, if you lose out on one of those two guys, you're in a very bad yeah. place, and you have no reason to believe that you can do anything meaningful. I forgot it was the back injury that came in for Colton Pareko, and and it was on the broadcast. And Curbs basically said the people that don't like how Colton Pareko plays enjoy life without him. And I, I look, I understand he has not been good, but when you take out a six foot six defenseman who does play 25 minutes a night, same can be said about Falk, who does provide you 50 points a season. Lose those guys and think about what life is going to be like because it you thought it was bad last year defensively. Imagine a top four that is Letty, Krug, Scandella, and Perunovic. See, I think Preko was, and I hate to sound like I'm just totally jumping on Preko here, but Preko was so bad last year that it was it was at the point where it was you didn't it was basically no Preko in the line. Who was better on defense than Preko last I, year? I just think when I look at Pavel Buchnevich, I look at a guy that was the MVP of the team last year Tor- and keeps everything together intact on that Listen, top man, line. I'm trying to give somebody new because my guy is obviously Pavel Buchnevich. I think he's the best penalty killer well, in the like history of the Preko's franchise. The new but like, if we're gonna talk about Robert Thomas as being the most indispensable player for this team, I I just disagree with it. I do. I don't think he's as indispensable up the middle as Pareko or Falk are defensively. Look at me right now. I have never loved you more. I'm I'm sorry, man. Like, I like Robert Thomas. I think he's a really good player. I think there's a chance he has 100 points this year. I just don't know that he's as indispensable as one of those two defensemen because there there is no replacement for those two guys. Up the middle, you still have Braden Shin. You still have Kevin Hayes. You could bring up one of those guys that are currently uh, playing center position for you down in the AHL. Like, you've... You've got other uh, other players that can produce up the middle. I don't think you do on the right side of your defensive pairings. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, there's one positive that has come from the Cardinals down the stretch this season. I'm not trying to spin anything, I promise, guys. Spin rate. 
But I do think there's something good that's come from their pitching tryouts. We'll get into that coming up at 1130. Coming up next, though, one of the most shocking injuries that we've ever seen in a debut for a player. We'll discuss what it means for the Jets and what do they do now, man? We'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. And now Rodgers sits down. A loss of 10 on the play, and hopefully the Jets are thinking that's the only loss on that play. And he's coming out of the game. Holy cow. I cannot believe this. I thought it was just an oh, ankle. I thought, we'd go t- I thought we'd go tape it up and get him back in there. Come on. Hey, the three, three plays, four plays. That's what it sounded like last night on ESPN. You heard the play-by-play, and then you heard the Manning brothers on their broadcast reacting to the news that Aaron Rodgers, what we didn't know then, tore his Achilles. He's going to be out for the entirety of the 2023 season. Alongside Alex and T-Bone, I'm BK. Good to have everybody back in studio together today. And we're reacting to what is one of the more shocking injuries to take place. I mean, I don't know if you guys were watching the broadcast as they opened things up yesterday. But Rodgers running out with the American flag to that kind of a reception, I got to be honest, that even got me, and I didn't fall for any of the Rodgers nonsense this offseason. I hated the hard knocks that had the Jets on it because it was just a Rodgers infomercial, and yet I still felt myself getting pulled in to the Rodgers storyline with the Jets. It was exciting, man. And now it's over just as quickly as it began. The only thing that I can really rely upon for my like context of what this feels like as a fan, at least in recent memory, is what it was like to watch Mizzou with Michael Porter Jr. taking the court, where it felt like this is the rebirth of a program. And Michael Porter Jr. goes out there, and you're like, oh, this is so cool. Like We got the best player in the country, and he plays for our team, and nobody else can have him. Tivo, can you picture B. Carrot now? He's got like a bucket of wings. Uh, he's got his beers, a bag of chips. He's sitting in the couch. He's like, oh, my God, Kara, this is so exciting. It and then was the, the first, best, dude. And then it it happens. was the absolute best. It was him and his brother. They're coming in. It's going to be this exciting basketball team. Konzo's the head coach. Like, Mizzou basketball is back, baby. First quarter done. <laughs> Basically never to be seen again. Now, like, technically he played again for Mizzou, but he didn't really Not play for Michael Mizzou Porter. again. Yeah, he, he couldn't even dunk. He, you saw him when he came back for the SEC tournament. He, he couldn't even get up to dunk. He, he was on a fast break, and he had to put it up for a layup. That's the thing that I can reference for what it felt like last night as a fan for that kind of a letdown after what was obviously an incredible moment for Jets fans to feel like their team is back. In St. Louis, we, of course, can refer back to the Trent Green injury where you have um, a Kurt Warner come in, and we all know the story from there. Zach Wilson ain't Kurt Warner, man. This is not the same thing. You don't have an unknown behind Aaron Rodgers. You know exactly who Zach Wilson is, and it ain't good. This leaves you with a whole lot to be desired at that position. Alex, as you were watching that last night, what came to mind for you? First thing was how awful that has to be if you're a Jets fan, if you're the Jets team, because the excitement built up around it. And then that it was the slow play too for Aaron Rodgers. Like he stood there and he looked and then he just dropped. And I'm like, Oh bleep, that's not good. And everybody had to be thinking the same thing. And then just the, the blanked up part of me looked at it as like, Oh man, this could be great for hard knocks. Right? Like leading up to this and 
Well, I know, but like, think about that. You get the narrative. Now people are going to go back, and that's the only time you get to see Aaron Rodgers was on Hard Knocks. <laughs> the highlights saw, of Rodgers as a Jet. four plays, but I mean, it sucks. It's good that the Jets were able to pull through. Their defense is very impressive. But yeah, I mean, Zach Wilson is not a lifesaver in this situation. It was very evident because when he stepped in, all they kept doing was handing the ball off, handing the ball off, handing the ball off. They didn't want Zach Wilson to throw. It sucks because the excitement and the hype around the New York Jets was all about what Aaron Rodgers could do. And knowing that for the next two years, you might actually make this team a Super Bowl contender. And now it's back to reality of we did all of that and now we've got nothing. Yeah, I I can't even imagine being a Jets fan today and going, man, I know we won that game last night, but our season's over. Like they they do they have a chance to be a playoff team, but it's not even close to the expectations that you had going into the year with Aaron Rodgers. And I also just couldn't help but think like at first I was like, man, it would really suck to make like a huge acquisition and then you lose him right off the bat. I, then I thought to myself, wait, the Cardinals may be going out and signing starting pitching that breaks. Imagine the Cardinals signing a top end free agent like Nola and he blowing out his arm in the oh, first inning. Why would you do? Why would you even put that but, in the because universe? Because that's, that's what it is like as a Jets oh. fan right now. That that would be the equivalent here in St. Louis, I believe. So I couldn't even imagine being a Jets fan today and having but, to just deal with the news that you already knew basically last night that Rodgers was done. But at least the Jets fans. I mean, if you got to find some type of silver lining in this, it's the fact that. Your defense is awesome. No, there's no silver lining. Yeah. What are you talking you about, man? You're going to be bad. Like no. I, I know you they won last night. Defense. Your season's over. If you're a Jets fan, you know today your season's done. All like right. you're... Well, you are way too negative for me. No, I mean, they had a great defense true. last year. That defense is awesome. Yeah, and, 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 and they'll hope they win last seven year. games. Yeah. They'll, they'll pull some ups, upsets. Like They'll go out there, and maybe they beat Philly. Maybe they beat the Chargers. Maybe they beat Miami later this year, Atlanta this year. They could find some ways to win. Like They're not going to be an absolute atrocity. This We're not talking about like Arizona, you know, but they're going to be the worst te- one of the two worst teams in that division. It'll be them or New England that ends up being the worst team in the AFC East this year because of this. Because you've got Zach Wilson as your quarterback, dude. We're not going to try to convince ourselves that that guy is going to be a capable starter. Oh, no, he's, he's terrible. terrible. He's terrible. And so you've got a guy now at the quarterback position that's going to throw a bunch of picks. He's going to run around just as he did last night. He's going to think that he's the second coming of Fran Tarkenton, and he's not. So th- that's that's what's going to happen here in, in New York. Their season is over because of this. Um, the only other things that immediately came to mind for me of like, the excitement level and not to the same degree because Rodgers is one of the greatest quarterbacks in the history of the NFL. But excitement level of a shiny new toy that you're able to bring in then it immediately breaks. I, I think back to uh, Gordon Hayward with the Boston Celtics and him basically snapping his leg in his debut for the Celtics. I think that was against was that against Cleveland? Um, I think it, it was like a nationally televised first game for them. But that's. That was one of the other ones that immediately came to mind as Basketball, well. Basketball, I had a couple, but some of them didn't even appear. Like some of it's like those top rookies that get drafted. Like sure. Blake Griffin misses the very first year recovering from an ACL. Uh, Chet Holgram, who was just drafted, what was that, two years ago, breaks his foot in the summer yeah. league. A lot of excitement around him in OKC, breaks a foot before you even actually see him in a regular season NBA game. And you got some other rookies like Embiid, who never played for the first two years because of foot injuries. Like, those are the ones that came into my mind originally was you see a lot of this sometimes in the NBA where as a guy that Markel deals with Foles, a, who had like I the yips before he started his real yeah. career with it wasn't uh, an injury. It was just well. woof. Yeah. Yeah. It was like a shoulder injury that became the yips of not knowing how to shoot any longer. So now that this is the case and Alex, I think you're actually with us. You do agree that the Jets are going to take a significant step back. I do. I don't think they're going to be that bad, but yeah, I, I, they're obviously not going to be the same team that they were with Aaron Rodgers. Who ends up benefiting from this? Because they're, 
I hate to talk about it this way, but hey, man, the NFL continues on as you end up getting hurt. We, we know how this works. Who's going to be the team that ends up benefiting the most by the Jets taking that step back? However big we think it is. I think they win like seven, maybe eight games this year. Maybe you think it's a little more than that, but I don't think they're winning that division. No, I don't, I don't think so either. I think that's going to be the Dolphins division to lose now. And then you've got the Bills, who I know they still lost that, but you're still going to consider that team to be in the conversation. I guess it really comes down to how do you view the Bills? Are the Bills still a playoff team in your eyes? Because if they are, yes. well, now you're pushing Jets down to the wild card spot. And now you're talking about teams in the AFC West, teams in the AFC north that can actually make some noise do the browns make some noise in this do the chargers or the broncos slide in or sneak in in that point you're talking that wild card team that you just assumed was out now it's open for that last team to fight for it bingo that's where i'm at i I think there are two teams in the afc north and i don't know who they are some combination of the browns the ravens and the bengals and then a team in the west likely the chargers those are the teams that i think stand to gain the most from this I think the Dolphins were, if not the favorite, one of the two favorites in that division either way. And I think the Bills were always going to make the playoffs. Now I think this kicks the Jets out, and it I'll, I'll say it's one of those teams from the AFC North. I, I can't put my finger on which one it is. I'm not believing quite as much as others seem to be of what we saw from the Browns in week one. I think they'll be a pretty good team, but I, I think the Bengals are going to end up being fine. Maybe it is the Browns, though, that end up getting in at like 10 and 7, 11 and 6, that kind of a record at the back end of the playoffs because of what happened right now with the Jets. Yeah, I was going to put the Browns and the Steelers. Those were the two teams for me that I thought could really The Steelers? Yes, I, I think so. I think a team with Ooh. Kenny Pickett, QB, I know it wasn't pretty week Dude, one. That was one They've of the got worst. a defense, too, but I, I he think He might have been the worst team. quarterback that I watched this weekend. Did you see Tannehill? Tannehill was really uh, bad. I did. Kenny Pickett was terrible. Um, I terrible. would rather take one of the three rookie quarterbacks than Kenny Pickett on my team right I, now. I'm, I'm not. All the way down on Kenny Pickett. Oh, I am. I'm, I'm not I am either. That's why I still about what we saw in Week One, and now Deontay Johnson is going to be missing someone, like a month. Not to sidetrack this again. Sorry, someone else brought up one that I completely forgot of. Eric Johnson blowing his knee yeah. out. Completely forgot of that. The hype around that is the number one overall pick, and then blowing your knee out. Sorry. And that was a, a freak accident. Yeah, as well. it was just one where it was like, "Are you bleeping kidding me? Seriously?" But yeah, I, I think Pittsburgh Steelers still a team to at least be in the conversation. I know it's a bad week one for them, but the reason I'm still there is because I still believe in Kenny Pickett to take the next step. And see, this is why part of me believes that the Jets can still make a playoff if it's a wild card team. Like that defense is better than anything the Pittsburgh Steelers are going to be able to offer in this situation. If you don't believe in the Browns, see, but I, that's the thing is like, okay, let's go through this. We got to get to seven, right? That's that's the number we got to get. So to. you got Bills, Dolphins, Bills and Dolphins. We think are making the playoffs. Ravens, you in on, you in on the Ravens? Yeah, I am. The Bengals, you still in on them? Yeah. After what we saw this week? The Jaguars? Yep. The Chiefs? Yep. Chargers? Yep. That's seven. Yeah. And, and then, we haven't even gotten to some of the, like, maybe them over the Jets. Like, I think you could still make a case for one of those other teams in the AFC North. I think you could make a case for maybe even the Patriots over them now. Like I, I would give the Jets a good shot. If we're talking Browns, Steelers, Raiders, anybody in the AFC South, I would still say that that defense with the Jets, if they get competent quarterbacking, which I don't even think is possible, it yeah, really comes down thing. to that. But I do think that they're more talented as a team than most of those other teams. So there is a report that just came out from Diana Rossini. She says the New York Jets have started to reach out to veteran free agent quarterbacks. Here's a list of some of the guys that they could reach out to. Tom Brady. Tom I just Brady. saw a video. He's shooting hoops. He's unavailable. Oh, okay. He's he's not coming back, guys. He's not. What are you talking hey, about? Hey, if Foles? I could draft. Oh. Colt McCoy. Ooh. He kind of makes Carson sense. Carson Wentz. No. Hey. No. Teddy Bridgewater, is he available? No, right he's now. a backup he's somewhere. A, okay. Is he backup in Carolina? Somewhere. Jameis Winston. He's not available. Isn't what is he a saint? Mean? 
I thought he was with no. the Saints still. Is he? No, I thought Taysom Hill was their backup. I See, this is why the Jets are screwed. Yeah. Correct. They should bring Phil Rivers. You need to retirement. call the Atlanta Falcons. Jameis Winston is still a Saint. You need say, to call the Atlanta was. Falcons right now and say, what do you want for Taylor Heineke? Honestly, makes sense. I mean, that would be the one that I'm calling. I would sign McCoy. Colt McCoy would be I would the guy I'd Jacoby Brissett. That he's, would be my guy. Somebody, isn't he? Yeah. Isn't he back? Yeah. Colts. I don't even know where he's at right now. Let's play a game. Where does he play? Yeah, where's the backup? <laughs> Man, that's a great game later. Jacoby uh, Brissett is in Washington. Yeah, I, I would call Washington and say, hey. They're going to need him to start later in the year. What about Cam Newton? Probably. No. I, I think Jacoby Brissett is your best case scenario here because Jacoby Brissett does all of the things that the Jets need. Mm-hmm. He's going to manage the game. If you get Jacoby Brissett in there, I wouldn't pick them to make the playoffs, but what you're saying about their defense, Alex, suddenly starts to make more sense. Their big problem, if they get a Taylor Heineke or a Jameis Winston or a Nick Foles, these guys are YOLO players, dude. Yeah. And what they have right now with their current quarterback situation, he's a YOLO player where he's going to throw it up and it's a 50-50 ball constantly. Some of it's going to go your way, so you might have some big games in there with Zach Wilson, but a lot of it's going to go the other way. And it's going to results in a bunch of turnovers that put your defense into bad situations and now that defense that is great starts to get worn down it starts to look a little worse and now you're not playing complimentary football anymore you can make the playoffs with a game control offense especially with Brees Hall looking as good as he did last night you got Dalvin Cook there and a defense that plays at a really high level we've seen that a million different times over the years but you can't do it with this quarterback situation you got to get somebody that can actually be a game manager call up the Colts get Thor on your team get up Gardner Minshew Get See, the, that's another yellow player. I don't the, want him. Get the mustachio monster. I bet they regret letting York. Mike White leave now. Oh, Magic Mike would be great for this team right now. I can't remember where he's at. He's in Miami. Is that where he is? Yeah. Seriously, this is a that game we should play. That one actually did know because of Tua. <laughs> <laughs> we need to play this game called Where Does He Play Now? Somebody says Matt Ryan. No, he Matt ain't Ryan. leaving CBS. They, the other thing that you got to think about, guys, is their their offensive line is terrible. So you yeah. cannot get a statuesque quarterback. You no. got to get somebody that can scramble. Because that's the only way that this offense is going to work. Is you, you got to get somebody that can move Carson around. Carson Wentz back there. is out. <laughs> Call Tony Romo. Coming up next. Oh God! <laughs> there was one positive that has come from the Cardinals starting pitching tryouts. I'll tell you what that is coming up here on 101 ESPN. I'm Alex Rodriguez, and I'm Jason Kelly from Bloomberg. This is the deal. Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Alex 
Jason T-Bone on BK. You got BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. In about 10 minutes or so, we'll get to questions and answers. 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line. We'll get to Jeremy Rutherford, our Blues insider for 101 ESPN and The Athletic. We'll get to him on the news of the day that Tory Krug is going to be out until at least October 1st due to a foot injury. He'll give his reaction to that news coming up in just a little while. But right now, guys, I want to talk about the Cardinals and specifically the one positive that we have got from this tryout of sorts that we're seeing in the rotation, I think sometimes the best thing that can happen to your team is learning who can't help you the following year. As much as who can, it's about who cannot. Is he going to take down Dylan Carlson right now? Matthew Libertor is not a starter for this team. He's been relegated to the bullpen and... I'm curious to see how he looks out there. We saw it over the weekend. I know, T-Bone, you guys talked about it a little bit yesterday. You were excited about it. We'll see. We'll see what it looks like in leverage spots the rest of the way. BK wow. just tempering those. Hey, it was a good segment, yeah. but hey, I, you got too excited. Yeah, I can picture what BK yeah. would have said if you were here. All right, calm down. Yeah, I mean, it's been like just, two appearances. Just we'll like see. you told me to calm down about Zach Thompson not being yeah. good, right? We'll get to that. Yeah. Drew Rom is apology. not a starter for you next year. He's not. He's got a 780 RA in his four starts here in the big leagues. That's a guy that could be like your ninth best starter in your depth chart going into next year. You should be those guys. He should be a back end starter for you in Memphis. Also known as the guy that you hope you don't see next year. Also known as John Gant. But worse. Yeah. Dakota Hudson. He's the same guy as ever. He's always been, man. Okay, let's pump the brakes here a little bit. That doesn't mean that he's bad, but he can be like your seventh best starter going into next season, and you feel okay about it. If he makes a few spot starts here and there, he's perfectly capable of doing that. You don't want him to do anything more than that. You want him to be so far down on the depth chart that you're not counting on him for anything meaningful in 2024. The guy that has made the most of his opportunity is Zach Thompson. And whether he's your number five starter going into next season or he's the top guy that you can come up or have come up from the from Memphis on that shuttle, either way is fine by me. He has earned that opportunity because of the way that he has pitched down the stretch. So, Alex, that's the one thing that I've learned, that the guys that have played themselves out of a situation in 2024, man, that's every bit as as important as the player, one, who has played himself into their plans. And let's be honest, as Cardinals fans, this season might be a blessing in disguise to where not every year where you just barely miss the playoffs or you get into the playoffs and you lose in the wild card where the team sits there and says, yeah, but look at all the options we have. Now it is glaringly. Who was it that we interviewed that say that said what Cardinals fans got was um, clarity this season? Somebody told us that. I don't know, but that person was smart. It was very smart. It wasn't you, by the way. It was an it was a guest that we had on. But that's what this season is. You've just gotten clarity to know that, hey, Dakota Hudson gave us that sliver of hope, and now it's gone again. And this is who Dakota Hudson is. So guess what, Dak? You want to be back? Bullpen, Memphis. Which one you want? Drew Rahm, loved getting you in the acquisition. You look great in Memphis. Guess what? You'll be back down there. The guy that we got clarity on was Zach Thompson. And we know that we have Zach Thompson next year in terms of depth, and that's it. And that's a good thing for this Cardinals team because now we don't have to sit here and act like Dakota Hudson might be a part of the rotation or Matthew Libertor is still young and deserves a shot. No, we're done with all of that. Zach Thompson got his shot. He backed it up and now he's in the conversation. Everyone else is bullpen or depth. And now you address accordingly. You have three guys, not that are great, but that are capable of being in your major league rotation next year. Three. It's Miles Michaelis, Steven Matz, and Zach Thompson. That's it. Nobody else currently in your system should project on opening day to even be considered for the starting rotation in 2024. Maybe they earn that right by July of next year. That is in play. 
But of the current players on your roster and in your organization at any level, there are three that have earned the opportunity to be a part of that rotation going into opening day of next year. Yeah, and if you have the right off season, one of those guys in Zach Thompson is probably not even in that and is, at, like you said, the swing man or is the six starter down in AAA Memphis. So, yes, it, it is a good thing that they are finally getting clarity so you don't have to go into a season going, you know, we never did see Libertor, so it's kind of a what if. We never got to see Drew Rahm. It's a what if. Now you know. And I think they probably had a good idea on most of those guys of, okay, here's what we think they are, but let's give them the shot to truly find out. Now you know, Hudson, not in the plans. Uh, Matthew Libertor, maybe in the plans, but out of the bullpen. Drew Rahm, not in the plans. So this is the best thing for the Cardinals, and though it is tough to watch at times, it is the best thing for them to know, okay, here's what the game plan is. And I think there are still roles trying to be carved out in the bullpen with like that Andre Pallante trying to prove stuff. But you're right, the rotation, you know, we got three guys that are major league quality starters, but let's still try and get three guys in the offseason so we can make Thompson that like number six guy that everybody wishes they had. All right, so... I want to talk about a pitcher that might be an option for the Cardinals in 2024. We've talked about him in the past. I have said this guy's name is redacted. And I think Alex is going to decide after hearing this that it will remain redacted for different reasons going into the offseason. Logan Gilbert's too good of a guy. Different player. Same team. So on Friday night, the Seattle Mariners are up 4-2. to two. George Kirby has pitched really well. 90 pitches through six innings. He's up 4-2. to His team's winning. They're in the midst of this big playoff race in the American League West, and they've been playing incredible baseball for the most part lately. George Kirby then goes out for the bottom of the seventh. Ground out. Double. Boom, home run. Now they're tied 4-4, to and now they go to the bullpen. George Kirby was asked after the game, about that seventh inning situation in which he came out for the seventh, again, with 90 pitches to start the inning. Here was his response, Alex. I didn't execute. He had a good pitch. Um, I wish I wasn't out there for the seventh, to be honest. So I was at 90 pitches, and I didn't, I didn't think I needed to go anymore, but you know, it is what it is. So. Is that a conversation in the dugout, or is it? It'll be a conversation soon. Yeah. You want the, that guy? I don't see the problem here. You, you want, want that guy? You want the five and dive guy? <laughs> He's telling you, I was six and done. What's wrong with that? Six innings and ninety pitches. I gave you my my stuff. Bullpen three one four three nine 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 six four six. Air Comfort Service text line. You guys interested in having that guy in your rotation going into next year? Is that the mindset that you want going Absolutely. into next season? I gave you six quality innings. My bullpen should get the job done. Is that the guy that you want to trade? Nolan Gorman, Lars Newtbar, Brendan Donovan as pieces of a package for? Is is that what we're trying to do here in St. Louis? That's what you're interested what's in. What's your problem in what he said? Are you serious? Yeah. He's the a mindset, losing baseball dude. player. The mindset is horrible. Or he just knows that the manager is just terrible. No. You, you have 90 pitches, and you go out there and you pitch your ass off until he takes the ball from you. I want a pitcher that doesn't want to give that ball up. And instead, he said, I don't want to take the ball. There is a specific kind of a mindset when I'm spending that kind of capital on you. Now, if you're a fifth starter, whatever, like 
I don't, frankly don't really care what the mindset is for the number four hey, or five starter in this rotation. I'm glad to hear Hudson said last night, I didn't like coming out of the game with the bases loaded. Sure, but he that was the right call. And <laughs> I agree with that. But sure, but I, let's I, be I, honest. Look, the bases are loaded for Dakota I totally Hudson. Agree, matters. But I, I love the fact that he said, I can get myself so out of this. So he's in the rotation opportunity I next year. I never then. in no. a million years would have thought that I would hear this from a starting pitcher. You, you Especially know what, a good, talented starting pitcher like George Kirby. You know what the best part of that was? At the end of it, the tough guy ending to it. It was... Was it a conversation? But it's going to be a conversation. Yeah, I don't know how that conversation is going to go, George. Yeah, they're going to throw you out there no matter what. Get and if your you ass can't back yeah. on the mound and go pitch, pitch at ninety pitches, I thought you were going to tell me. By the way, all oh, that was sarcastic. Yeah, I don't need that on my team. Team's already got issues. I don't need that attitude coming in. I thought this was going to be like a Trevor Bauer situation where he took the ball and turned around and chucked it into the outfield. I would prefer that. <laughs> but that was so much worse. Where he was like. Oh, yeah. I uh, probably shouldn't have been out there. I was already at 90 pitches. I gave you my best stuff. It's going to be a conversation moving forward. George Kirby won't be a Mariner after this if season. If George Kirby was somebody that I was going to trade like Dylan Carlson for and he's going to be a number four starter for me, whatever. That's you fine. might be able to now. <laughs> I'm not worried about it. I, c- I can go ahead and take on that mindset as a back end of the rotation starter. I do not want to trade for this guy as my ace with huge assets going in the other direction in order to have that mindset at the front end of my rotation. I know he's a really good starter, dude. He's got a 3-5 ERA this season, and he makes your team better. There is no doubt about it. But I'm not building around that long term. I I need to overhaul the mindset of my rotation as much as I need to overhaul the skill set of my rotation this offseason. And George Kirby would not be a part of my plans because of a quote like that. Maybe I'm making a mountain out of molehill here. I don't think I am. No, I think that is exactly the kind of quote that gets you completely written off in this team's offseason plans. Not that he was ever a part of it, but now he's definitely crossing off the list. I totally agree, and I think even if that was like the cost control four, like if Clark Schmidt, the guy that we've always kind of used as the placeholder for the cost control number four, if Clark Schmidt even came out and said that, I'd say cross him off the list. I don't want a guy that doesn't have the mindset of give me the ball, I'm going to go out there and Especially on that team right now that you know is good, that can compete, and you're going to have that attitude. Yeah, that's... That's not what I need in late September when I'm going for a playoff push. So, yeah, George That's Kirby is going to be gone. He's not playing for the Cardinals. He's playing for a team in the midst of a like serious playoff run. That has legit competition in their pitching rotation. I just, yeah. man, I can't imagine being a fan of the Mar- – I, I, I didn't listen to this any Seattle radio yesterday. I was a little busy, but – I, I want to go back and listen to what they had to say. About I would. This. Uh, I have to imagine they were furious yeah. about those kinds of comments. Not the best idea on September 12th to have controversy around your team when there's a playoff push. By the way, I, I maybe it's unrelated. They've lost the three straight games since then. It's four straight losses now for the Mariners, and they are now no longer at aren't, the top of the American League. Aren't West. they playing the Angels? They did lose to the Angels last night in yeah. extra innings. Uh, they are now Angels two and a half games back of the Astros, half game back of the Texas Rangers. Yeah, well, Otani was scratched yesterday. Again. Oh, Coming great. up next, let's get a questions and answers here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. You've got questions. We may have the answers. Maybe it's BK and Ferrario's questions and answers on 101 ESPN. Three one four three nine nine 
9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line for questions and answers. We'll get to Jeremy Rutherford coming up here in about five minutes or so. Get his thoughts on the news of the day that Tory Krug going to be out until at least October 1st with a foot injury that he sustained during his training for the Blues season. But let's start with this from the 636 for questions and answers. Guys, how would you feel if the Cardinals signed just two starters this offseason and went into next year with Thompson as the expected starter in your number five spot? Who are those two starters? We talked a little bit about this yesterday. Like if you're getting Nola and Gray, absolutely. Let's make Thompson as my number five. I'm good with. Now I'm going to be concerned a little bit if injuries pop up because you still don't have that depth, but it really comes down to who are those two guys? Because if you're not signing two top caliber pitchers, then there's no absolute way that I can get away with Yamamoto that. Yamamoto and Sonny Gray. I would still want a number three in that situation because I don't know if Yamamoto is going to translate. I would be fine with that, but I think that is what you have to do. If you don't get one of the top tier pitchers, which I think includes right now, Snell, Nola, and Yamamoto, then you cannot go into next season with Thompson as your five, because then you're talking about like Sonny Gray as your one, and you probably signed like Eduardo Rodriguez, maybe, and like a Giolito type, something like that. And now you're talking about just adding depth and everybody in your rotation is kind of middle of the rotation starter. Yeah, that, that doesn't work for me. See, I would still much rather sign three starters no matter what and have Thompson be that sixth sixth starter or swing man. Have him be like the Dane Dunning role of what the what Rangers have. What if it have. means, though, in your scenario, like if you sign three, you now can't improve the bullpen the way that you want to. Does that change? Because I feel like we kind of do this thing where it's like, hey, you either sign three starters or you sign two without taking into account what that means for the other moves that they have to make in the offseason. Uh, if it means getting a $10 million bullpen arm instead of like for a one-year deal, instead of that starter that we're talking about, I think this team really needs some bullpen pieces going into the offseason. And a $10 million arm, I think, makes a huge difference at the back end of your pen, potentially. I'm absolutely with you, especially because the uncertainty of guys like uh, Romero and Gallegos going into next season. I do think you're going to have to allocate $10 million for one bullpen arm and then figure out the rest for your starting five pitcher for side. Two, however you want to divvy it up, just that $10 million, is it better served as a back end of the rotation starter or a bullpen arm slash two, I, I would probably and rather go with. The I think arm. that's why, like, every time we talk about this, my little kind of caveat to it is I think they've got to trade for a number four. And I think that's, that's what they do. And then you've got Thompson serving because I'd much rather go into the year as Thompson has the number six and kind of be that Dane Dunning role to where if you need him and you know you if you need to go to another guy, you know, you know, you've got a really reliable guy that can come in and be a starter rather than going into the year with him already there. And then who's your six? Kind of an unknown. We've got a few other questions that I want to get to quick hitter style here from the 314. Guys, what do you think Palante's role should be in 2024? Uh, not on the Cardinals. Just being totally blunt. Head on the, down to Memphis yeah. with the Redbirds. You should be a Redbird. Yep, agree. The, the plan this offseason should be to elevate your bullpen to a level where Andre Palante is not needed in that bullpen. I like Palante. Last year, he was such a huge piece for what they did in that bullpen. But we have seen a lot of what he did last year was a mirage. He was based on batted ball luck and very good defense behind him. Eventually, that luck will run out. And with the lack of a shift now and the defense taking a bit of a step back for the Cardinals, he's not somebody that I would plan on on any kind of a role, but certainly not a high leverage role going into next year. We all on the same page? Yep, yep, 100% agree. Uh, From the 6-3-6, we've got this one. Guys, with Rodgers getting hurt, do you have a name that you would target for the Jets? Trade-wise, 
I think the one you brought up, Jacoby Brissett's an interesting one. I, that would be my answer. I would check in on guys like pretty much any backup around the NFL. I'd be calling and asking Gardner Minshew, Taylor Heineke, somebody who's got experience in, in a situation like this. Um, free agent wise, I don't know. <laughs> I think all of them are awful, and I don't think any of them are going to make you any better than just sticking with Zach Wilson. Yeah, I, I'm just kind of rooting for cash. I want to see Philip Rivers come out of retirement. That's so cool. Well, he was reconnected to the 49ers to go play in the I Super Bowl. Like, why not? Let's did, just, isn't he having another kid? So I think so. I think he might need to come back. At this point, he's the cheaper not buy the dozen movie was actually a documentary on Philip Rivers. <laughs> Steve Martin <laughs> played him to a T. Uh, over under Lars Dupar, 20 home runs next year. I'll go over. T-Bone's in, baby. Wow. What the bleep happened to you? Whoa. Well, if he stays healthy. What's he at now? Isn't he at like. You just ished on this man because he said Colton Pareko. And you're yeah, going to sit was... here and be a hypocrite for how long you've hated on Lars Newbar. 13 and 100 at, games. Yeah. So, like, he's he, if he stays healthy and his injuries were like, got Welcome hit in the aboard. groin. You're and a, I don't remember what the one early on was. It was didn't he like jam a finger or something? You're a hypocrite, man. Dude, New, Newt's an all-star you caliber player You gotta hold right your now. ground, right, well, T-Bone. Okay, well, now him hey, going... He just said he's gonna hit 20 home runs. Yeah, but like... He's getting on base 38% of the time, and if he hits 20 home runs, that's all-star caliber production. Yeah, look, man, I... I'm sorry. I was in until you're a hater, he started but you're right. to push that way. Uh, final thing here. This one, this a bit of news to perennial. pass along. David Stearns, the former Milwaukee Brewers president of baseball operations, has reached an agreement to now become the Mets president of baseball operations after this year's regular season. Everybody Shocking. knew this was coming. Does David know how to spend money as a general manager? Free didn't have to do it a whole lot with the Brewers. I'm fascinated by this move, man. I don't know. Well, what's the Mets direction, too? Like, because exactly. they want players that can help them in the future rather than just spending money i think Stearns has done a good job of making trades he's gonna do a good job there i, I don't know what it's gonna look like though to your point alex I, I don't know how he elevates that team because they are kind of tied to a decent amount of money right now so um big news in the baseball world that we were all expecting it is officially made uh, official here today coming up next jeremy rutherford the blues insider for the athletic that was a good way to put it i am an english professor 101 ESPN. <laughs> Tell me what elementary school is allowing you to be there. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. It's time for the Rutherford Report on 101 ESPN. Anything you folks want to know about the fascinating world of pro hockey, here we go. To the 101 ESPN hotline with Jeremy Rutherford, Blues Insider for the Athletic. You can read his work there. You can also follow him on Twitter at JP Rutherford. JR, big news earlier today. Let's dive right into it. We appreciate the time as always. Tori Krug injured his foot while he was training for the 2023 season. He's going to be out until at least October 1st. What was your initial reaction to this? Yeah, initial reaction is that it's uh, early in the season. He's going to miss, uh, obviously, training camp. But uh, if, if he can stick close to that uh, reevaluation timetable, which is October 1st, as you mentioned, you know, it's a few weeks of camp, and pr- potentially he's back for the uh, regular season opener October 15th. So it's a situation the Blues have so much depth on defense. You guys have been talking about Scott Prinovich. That's the guy I think is going to get some ice time, some extra reps perhaps an increased role. Uh, just the fact that you're getting Scott Prinovich games after he's missed, missed so much time the past couple of years, including all of last season, is going to be beneficial to him. So big picture, you know, it's not, I don't think, a huge deal for the St. Louis Blues. But as you look forward with Tory Krug and him having uh, vetoed the trade, 
this past summer, what does his future look like as a St. Louis Blue? I think that opens some more questions because uh, teams who may have had interest, and I'm not saying there were any teams who may have had interest, you know, this injury history is getting pretty long here. So, and I know it's speculation, JR, but you're talking to the king of the tinfoil theory here. But uh, the question that I've been asked since it's come up on Twitter is does this have anything to do or tied into the trade request that the Blues asked of Tory Krug? Like, I guess, speculating if it's not really an injury. Yeah, no, everybody's going to jump to conclusions for sure. Uh, you know, we're, we're used to this when you deal with uh, controversy surrounding trade requests. We just went through two years of it with uh, with Vladimir Tarasenko. To my knowledge, you know, nothing along those lines happening here. Uh, we saw last year Marco Scandella had an injury while training and, and missed a large portion of the season. These things happen. Uh, when you hear the name Tory Krug after he was in the headlines this summer with the trade, uh, veto to Philadelphia. You know, I think that's the natural question is, you know, how did this happen? Why did it happen? When did it happen? Uh, but to my knowledge, nothing connecting those dots at this point, Alex. JR, so what does this mean for Perunovic? You mentioned him as the guy that's going to get the biggest opportunity. Can can he win himself a job based on the way that he plays in camp while Krug is out? I think so. I really do. And, and listen, uh, I realize that two weeks into the season, Scott Perunovic could be back on the injury list. You know, let's say that he does get some games. Maybe he isn't the player that we thought he could be a couple years ago. But I'm going to say this. I've been bullish on Scott Perinovich because in the games that we've seen him, BK, you can see the talent, particularly on the power play. And I know you can't just get in the lineup based on how you look on the power play. you got to play five on five. And, you know, that part of his game hasn't necessarily come yet. But it's because he needs some games. And, look, he was ready to come in at the end of last season. But the Blues made, I believe, a wise choice and said – you know, let's keep him in Springfield. Let's let him play. Let's get him some games. He did. He finished the season strong. He went over the world championships and played. And he's really looking forward to this camp. And, and as you guys mentioned earlier, you don't want to see an injury to a teammate. But I think this opens it up. The Blues were already going to give Scott Prinovich a chance. Now he's going to get a bigger chance to show what he could do and perhaps grab one of these top six spots. If he does, Jr. and Perunovich looks like the guy that every Blues fan has been excited about since he was drafted second round, what does that mean for Tory Krug and Nick Letty? Because the question that's always asked is, is there a spot in the top six for three smaller stature, offensive-minded defensemen in Letty, Krug, and Pernovich? Yeah, if Pernovich steps in and does a great job, uh, I think that it's going to create some questions. What do the Blues do here? Because you know the biggest thing is you'd like to move somebody, but how do you do that with these contract situations? We saw it with Tory Krug. You know, not only do they have some term on these contracts, Tory Krug four years, Nick Letty three years left on his deal, uh, but in the case of these guys, you got no trade clauses too, and that came into play this offseason uh, with Krug. So, you know, if Prinovich is hot and he's the player you thought he was going to be, obviously you're the Blues, you don't want to move him, but how do you trade one of those other guys? And I realize that you're going to have a guy coming off the books like a Marco Scandella. You had a guy, you know, maybe a Callie Rosen gets a little more role now here in training camp with, with Tory Krug out. Uh, but if you get to that point, and we don't want to get ahead of ourselves with Perinovich, the Blues are going to have to figure out a way to move one of those defensemen like we've been saying for the past year or two. Jeremy Rutherford is our guest for just another couple of minutes here on 101 ESPN. You can find his work over at The Athletic where he wrote a quick piece on the news of the day that Tory Krug going to be out for at least the next few weeks. Uh, JR, on another spot on the Blues roster, a new addition is Kevin Hayes. In the first 53 games last year, he had 17 goals and 30 assists. 
If the Blues get that version of Kevin Hayes, where he had 47 points in the first 53 games of last season, fill in this blank, then blank for the Blues. Well, I think that uh, you can put him in that potential playoff conversation, and that's not saying contender. We all know that the defense, the goaltending, everything else has to come together. But I think that's going to give you a lot of depth up the middle when you talk about Robert Thomas. You know, he could be a 60-assist guy. You look at uh, Braden Shen, who I think they're going to continue to play in the middle. We'll see here uh, shortly when camp gets started next week. But if you have Kevin Hayes in the middle, then maybe you have Oscar Sundquist, the fourth-line center. You know, that's some pretty good depth up the middle. And by the way, um, name drop here, I, I visited with Matthew Kachuk the other day for a piece I'm writing for The Athletic soon, and we did have a chance to talk about Kevin Hayes, who he's related to. Uh, some people know that, and Matthew Kachuk thinks it's a real good fit for uh, Kevin Hayes here in St. Louis, thinks he's going to have a good year. So the numbers that you rattled off, that start he had in Philadelphia before things went sour last year, the Blues would love that. And they're getting them, as we know, at that 50% discount rate. This is what Doug Armstrong kind of envisioned during the retool, that he's going to bring in a couple guys who have that type of potential at half the cost. Kevin Hayes is one of those guys and the Blues would love that production. Jer, when it comes to talking about the defense turning around, everybody, of course, points to the defensemen because they're such a big piece of this. But when you look at the forward side, that has changed from what it looked like last year. Do you see the defense improving from the forwards this season? Yeah, and that's one of those deals where you have to wait and, and, and see how it all shakes out. I mean, we can guess what the lines are, uh, and we know that some of these players, uh, what they've brought in the past, like a Sunquist was here, like a McKenzie Keckern, if McKechnie, if he were to find himself in that lineup. So we know what those guys bring. But what I want to see, and this is my number one question coming into camp, like we can follow all the storylines we want to do. Uh, how, how is Jake Neighbors going to look? How is Bennington going to look? How is Holfer going to step up? How many games is he going to play? But what I want to see is, is this a team? Are these guys willing to dig a puck out of the defensive zone and get it out, block a shot, you know, rather than scoring a goal. I mean, that's what this team needs right now. And you're not going to see that in week one or two at camp or three exhibition games. You might not even see it a month into the season, whether they're going to be able to stay committed for the entire year. But, but tying in your question, Alex, you know, forwards getting back and playing defense, that's what, what being a team is. And we didn't see that last year. And, yeah, a lot of criticism was directed at the defensemen, and rightly so. You can sit there and zero in on these guys, and they did not play well. But as Craig Bruby has mentioned a number of times, the forwards did not help. And I think that going back to my number one big question of training camp in the early part of the season, what do these guys want to do for each other? They want to stick up for each other, play hockey, play hockey the right way. Let's see what it looks like. JR will certainly be watching and monitoring as training camp begins and as we get into, of course, the start of the preseason. We'll read all of your great work over at The Athletic. We'll be following you on Twitter at J.P. Rutherford. We'll talk to you again next week, man. Thanks so much for the time. All right, boys. Sounds good. See you, Jared. That's Jeremy Rutherford joining us as he does each and every Tuesday here on BK and Ferrario. Alex, I think the biggest thing there with the forwards, like they, they have to be better defensively yeah. this year. And I ask that question because I truly believe they will be better. I think Kevin Hayes provides more depth down the middle than what you had. I mean, again, Logan Brown was your third line center last year. Barbashev was doing it a little bit Top for five you. Move. Top five move by Doug Armstrong. That uh, The good news is that overshadowed my Hull and Oates conversation. So sure. we'll just forget about that. But that improves. 
I believe Kapanen is going to improve the top six defense two-way style for the way that he plays. And then your fourth line. I mean, look, that team didn't have a fourth line they could use last year. Nolachari was playing in the third line because the fourth line was useless. Now you've got three guys that you truly trust. So it really comes down to the defense of your top six. If they can provide what more or improvement from what they did last year in terms of Thomas and Shen and Buchnevich and Saad and Kairu, then you're talking about a different looking forward group in terms of the defensive play. And I'm going to make a cross sport comparison that doesn't hold all of the water, but I, I do think it, there's some similarities here. Jake neighbors can be for the blues in some ways. What Nolan Gorman was this year for the Cardinals. And what I mean by that is Nolan Gorman, the first year that he came up, it was so incredibly inconsistent. Now, he ended up being an above-average player offensively for the Cardinals, but he had so many holes in his swing, especially at the top of the zone, and he was so bad defensively that it was just really hard to carve out a role for him. Jake Neighbors last year, it, it just felt felt too big for him early on, and that's why we didn't see him for the entirety of the season, and we shouldn't have. He, he wasn't ready for what they were asking him to be. They were asking him to essentially be the David Perron replacement, and he was not prepared for that. My hope is coming into this year, he can take that step where maybe he doesn't become, you know, 20% above league average offensively the way that Nolan Gorman has. But can he be somebody that is a, a useful contributor on a third line where he brings some physicality, he plays both ways well, and he gives you like 10 to 15 goals? If he can be that for you this year, on top of Kapanen and Verona and Kevin Hayes, now you just added so much depth to your top nine. I mean, that's half of your top nine that has turned over from what it was this time last year. And that helps you a lot in that regard as well. JR makes a really good point, though. And somebody texted in and said the same thing. I just don't see the defense playing like a team, as JR just alluded to. They never stick up for their teammates, pushing guys out of the way if need be. That is something that you're not going to find out the first week of the season. But it's something that if you watch the championship caliber teams, when something happens, whether it's with their goaltender getting bumped or if a player gets checked the wrong way, five guys are in the middle of that scrum. And the Blues just aren't that team. The Blues had George Kirby's mentality. And they need to be a little bit more like uh, Chris Carpenter. You really hate George Kirby, don't you? I mean, what he said was embarrassing. (laughs) If he had said that as a Cardinal, our text line would be lighting up today. Just firing Uh, into that guy. I I mean, saying, get this guy out on the the next plane out of St. Louis. Get him out of here. Cut him. Trade him. All there would 100% be an outcry against George Kirby if he said that here. Here's when I would look at the team and say, okay, they've got something special. You remember last season when it was... They beat Edmonton like 3-0. No, God, no. That, that, that fooled yeah. us all. It was against Tampa, and I think it was Robert Bortuzzo that poke check the puck into Vasilevsky's pad that was already underneath. You remember all five guys swarmed him the moment that that happened? When I see that happen for the Blues... I'll know that there's something special there. He's Alex Ferrario. That's Tanner Hendrickson, and I'm Brandon Kylie. Coming up next, we're diving into some NFL quick hitters. It's good to have you guys coming around when it comes to one of the most overrated quarterbacks in the NFL. We'll discuss it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's dive into some NFL quick hitters alongside Alex and T-Bone on BK coming up in 10 minutes. So who's going to go after Mike Trout this offseason? Cardinals. No, not them. We'll talk about it coming up here in just a little bit. But first, we got to dive through some NFL quick hitters. Let's start with this, guys. I've got a question for you. Did the AFC let the Chiefs off the hook? 
Because we saw this over the weekend. The Bengals lost 24 to 3 in Cleveland. The Steelers lost 30 to 7. So much for that pick for me at home against the San Francisco 49ers. I guess West Coast to East Coast at noon doesn't matter. The Chargers lost at home 36 to 34 against Miami. And the Bills lost last night to the Jets despite Rodgers going down early in that one 22 to 16. So the Bengals, Steelers, Chargers, Bills, all of whom, at least some people, thought could be contenders this year, all lose. Alex, did they let the Chiefs off the hook with the Chiefs losing in week one against the Lions? Well, obviously, yes. I mean, that was the opportunity to get a game up on the Kansas City Chiefs. And now that the Chiefs got Chris Jones back, now that they're going to have hopefully Travis Kelsey back in the next game, now you're all on the same level playing field. So I, I if any team let them off the hook more, it was the Bills. Yeah, absolutely. Because the Bills like should have pounced on that opportunity to say, yeah, we're going to be the top dog now. And Josh Allen looked like a little puppy that kept peeing in a, in a kennel. Yeah. I, no, I got that, there. I think that was good. Thanks. He's like, oh, no, I don't yeah. want to go outside. He kept, here. he just kept throwing it right into the double coverage. So just the YOLO. same guy. Yeah. <laughs> he was that open. Guy, that guy earned like $250,000 in an incentive last night. <laughs> From that one game? game? His season-long total for um, for interceptions was hit in week one. Ah, if I'm him, nice. I'd be like, we're good. I'm out. Right? Uh, but, yeah, I, I think you're right. I think the rest of the AFC let the Chiefs off the hook for sure because Mahomes – the Chiefs were, I would say, I, I think they're going to be better with their wide receivers. The drops came in last week. I don't think that's going to continue. You get healthy with uh, Travis Kelsey coming back probably next week. You get uh, Chris Jones, who's now reported to camp. Like, yeah, everything was on. The writing was on the wall. Of, okay, if Cincinnati can take care of Cleveland, if Buffalo can take care of a Aaron Rodgers Jets, mm-hmm. you already got that one game that you probably typically won't get. Yeah, the Raiders, and you were, all missed your chance. The Raiders were the only team that understood the assignment. Like, hey, we have to win Week One. Yeah, and they stink, so they don't matter. Yeah. Week One in the NFL: Patrick Mahomes, Justin Herbert, Joe Burrow, and Josh Allen all lost. The only other time that that has happened was Week Five of the, the 2020 season. Mahomes, Herbert, Burrow, Allen all lose in the same week. Only happened one other time. I wonder what a parlay would have been on money line losses for all of those teams. I mean, it would have been huge because you would have had the Browns as an underdog, the Jets last night as an underdog, the Lions as an underdog, and I think the Dolphins were an underdog as well, if I'm not mistaken. So, yeah, yeah, it it would have been four underdogs to win outright. I'll lose sleep over that tonight. Yeah, that would have been a tough one. Hey, you, if hey, you predicted that one, though, you run it back. <laughs> run it back. It'll happen again next week, I'm sure. Just Yolo. keep doing it. Hey, if it happened once before, it'll happen again. Just keep doing True. it every week. Speaking of Josh Allen and the Bills failing last night in a big spot, who could have seen that one coming? Sure seems like people are starting to come around to old BK's side of the, the ledger when it comes to Josh Allen. A guy who makes this many mistakes, who makes that many mistakes in big moments in the red zone with zero Super Bowl appearances and one AFC title game appearance, an appearance that they lost. I get the overtime rules, etc. There is not a quarterback in this league that is considered on a higher level than Josh Allen that is more overrated. You can't find one. It's not Mahomes. It's not Burrow. It's not Hurts. It's not Rodgers. This is ridiculous to think that this guy is on that level. He constantly makes the same damn mistakes. He said the same thing himself last night. He said, same bleep, same place, different day. Josh Allen is who we all thought he was, and you all let him off the hook. I'm taking my victory lap today. Since week one of last season, Josh Allen has played in 19 football games. 
He has thrown 20 interceptions and has fumbled the ball 17 times in those 19 games. That is 37 interceptions or fumbles in 19 games. My dude is averaging two potential turnovers in every single game over the last calendar year. I'm sorry, man. Josh Allen is a really good quarterback. He is incredibly talented. But if that dude doesn't start limiting the turnovers, limiting the mistakes, you cannot win anything meaningful with him because it's like having a pitcher in the postseason that pitches to contact. Eventually, that's going to turn. Your luck's going to go in the wrong direction and you're going to fail. That is who Josh Allen is right now. For the Cardinals offseason. Maybe he can eventually overcome this. We've seen it with other guys. Brett Favre ended up getting his. We've seen this with certain pit, uh, certain quarterbacks that, you know, um, when you look back to what happened with John Elway in Denver, he limited the mistakes over time, got his couple Super Bowls. But until Josh Allen learns and changes the way that he plays, he is not going to win anything meaningful. I I. I believed Josh Allen was better than people were giving him credit for for like I don't know from 2018 to 2020 but last year was the first year that it started to open my eyes about him and now I'm officially at the point where Josh Allen is the prototypical quarterback that if he did not have Stefan Diggs who he could throw to in a dangerous situation he would probably be a bottom dweller with that team because Josh Allen he really looked like kind of what Justin Fields looked like. Like he dropped back to see if his first guy was open. And if he wasn't, he just scrambled. Yeah. There were multiple times last night that he just drops back and say, I'm going to scramble this myself. And it's like, dude, you're, and I understand the offensive line may not be giving him a whole lot of time, but there's more than just one option out there. of you running the ball and like, um, um, what's a, what's his name? Color analyst last time the broadcast, Troy, I was going to say Tony Roma, which was not it. What Aikman said last night, that's great in week one, week two, week three, but by week six, you're going to be dinged up and you're going to be throwing the ball hurt and you're not going to look the same. The thing is, he has to do that. Yeah. He he has to run. Otherwise, he's not Josh Allen. You know, it's like I remember early in Bryce Harper's career, they were talking about, hey, he can't be diving in, into the stands. Well, if he doesn't, though, he's not. Not yeah, if you're not Josh Allen, you're not the, the big guy who can run into linebackers and get up and walk away and that's, act like you love it. That's how he has value. Like mm-hmm. if you suddenly say, hey, Jalen Hurts, we paid you a big contract. We don't want you to run anymore. Then why would you pay how, him the contract? How much of that's on the coach, though, too? Because the coach is kind of coaching into that, too, isn't he? But he has to. Again, yeah. if you have a six foot five, if the Colts. But he's got an arm. It's not like he can't throw the ball. But he's not accurate. No, he's not. And he doesn't read coverage well. I mean, Aikman said it last night. You. I think it was the second pick where he throws it deep down the field into double coverage. He doesn't see the safety. And that is the thing that Troy Eggman said. At this point, like you expect rookies, like you would expect Bryce Young, CJ Stroud to fall for that. This point in his career, Josh Allen should not be falling into those traps. It's like Jacob DeGrom. The dude throws 100, and that's how he pitches, man. That is why he is as effective as he is. You can't have him reel it in because if he does, he's not the same pitcher. You paid him, whatever, $200 million because he's striking out the world. Yes, that means he's going five innings. Yes, that means he's likely to get hurt more often than you'd like. But this is who you paid. You knew all of the risks and all of the benefits of going out there and acquiring that player. When the Bills paid Josh Allen, this is who they paid. This is the player that they knew they were going to be getting. It comes with a whole hell of a lot of highs. Dude, it would not surprise me if this week Josh Allen goes out there and looks like the best quarterback in the NFL. Shouldn't surprise anybody because he's going to have six of those games this year. We're on any given week. He can throw for 300 yards, rush for 100 yards, and look like a battering ram out there. But then the very next week, he might go out there and throw three picks, and it's the exact same dude with a little bit different luck. So this is who he is. 
This is who he's going to be, and I don't think anything's going to change until he ends up finding a way to, in his own mind, change the way that he throws the football. But he's got to run. Otherwise, you're, you're not getting Josh Allen, who you thought that you get. He is one of the most explosive players in the NFL. Another one of those players that went off this week, and it really genuinely broke my heart again. <laughs> Felt good for my fantasy football team. Was Tyreek Hill, who earned me some money in daily fantasy. It was nice to see on that side of things, but it crushed me to see him doing this in a different uniform. Here's Shannon Sharp on what Tyreek Hill has become. You can take Aaron Donald. You can take any of the defensive players. You can take any of the offensive players. He is the scariest player in the NFL for the simple fact there is no answer for him. You can't double team him because he could outrun. He'll take the top off the coverage. I've never seen anything in my since I've been playing. Not look, and I go back 1990. He's the scariest receiver. He's more scared than Jerry. I'm not saying he's a better receiver than Jerry, but he's scarier than Jerry right. because he's one of the few men in the history of the game that's been able to take a five-yard route and turn into an 80-yard spectacular. He's right. Yep. There's there's nothing to disagree with there with Shannon and Sharp. He somehow always finds a way to get open, and when he gets open, the coverage closes in on him, and you're thinking he's going to be down, and next thing you know, he turns a route into a touchdown. It's infuriating. Yeah. There, like – Take away the cracks because that's something different entirely, right? They have such an, a huge impact on the game. If you said every other player in the NFL, who's the guy that scares you the most to go against, whether you're an offensive or a defensive coordinator, Micah Parsons is up there. TJ Watt is up there. Those guys are game wreckers. Derrick Henry could, could hurt me, though. Potentially, but it's it just takes so many carries for him to get there. Yeah. On any play, Tyreek Hill can go 80 yards and take it to the house. Yep. I The only other thing that... I've personally seen that is on this same level as like Randy Moss, but his was more like deep balls. Yeah. Randy was, he was getting open his deep and there's nothing you can do about it. Tyreek can take us, as he said, a five yard slant and he is outrunning your entire defense to the house. He'll juke one guy out of his shoes, do a little spin move and then phew, yep. gone. It's, it's unlike anything I've ever seen. He's one of the most terrifying playmakers I've ever seen in my time watching the NFL. Yeah, I can't think of one that's been more dangerous. I mean, you're right, because it is just a simple dump-off pass to him, and he is just gone. And even when, like, there's times, like, I think in that game at one point when I was watching on Sunday, I was like, oh, okay, there's three guys. And then it's just, boom, <laughs> then he hits the Jets. He and finds he the smallest the opening. It's unbelievable. Man, I already, the way BK was talking about that, I imagined him yeah. with the Wolverine meme, and he's sitting yeah. in his bed with the photo. I will remember you. Do you cry a lot on Sunday when you see Tyreek Hill? Yeah. I know you did this Sunday. Yeah. No, it sucks sometimes. It sucks that. when your team's oh, cheap, doesn't it? Good thing it? you guys got uh, Sky Moore. Yeah. Hey, Katerius Tony can be better, right? I mean, they won a Super Bowl. Flags fly forever. Yeah. The banner will stay up. You know that how many true. Super Bowls they would have won if they still had Tyreek? Yeah, a lot. I think two at least. It would be so cool to have him still coming up next. <laughs> Who's going to go after Mike Trout this offseason? And why won't it be the Cardinals? We'll talk about it here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Alongside Alex and T-Bone, I'm BK, so Mike Trout might be available. Say with me, Cardos, Cardos, Cardos. T-Bone, where were you, man? You were this all comes aboard. from Bobby Boogie of USA Today. The Los Angeles Angels, perhaps for the first time, are open to trading Mike Trout 
if he indicates to them that he would like to be out. Trout has exclusive no trade rights. He said recently that he wants to have a private conversation with the front office and ownership about their direction. However, Trout is 32 years old. He would not generate the same trade return as he has in the past. He's not played more than 140 games since 2016. He will have missed 250 games over the last three years if he does not return at the end of the year. He still has about $250 million owed to him over the next seven seasons. Again, that comes from Bobby Bogey over in the USA Today. The Cardinals are not, will not, should not be a part of these negotiations. I know that sounds crazy when we're talking about one of the best players that I've ever seen with my own two eyes in Mike Trout. But he's missed 250 games over the last few years. It's due for a healthy year. He's still <laughs> owed $250 million. Just needs a change of scenery. If the Cardinals were in a spot where they had all of their pitching ready to go and it was cost-controlled for the next few years going into next season, I would be singing a very different tune. Because Trout could definitely be the final piece to a championship-contending team here in St. Louis. And in that scenario, I would be pounding the table like crazy for the Cardinals to go make this trade. Because I think there's a scenario where it kind of is like the Nolan Arenado deal. I don't think they're going to get a significant return. I think this is going to be about money more than it is about anything that they're able to get in return for Trout. I think there's going to have to be a team that gets really desperate to go after him. I think you're talking about a team that is like the Yankees, where they have no other outs. There's nothing they can really do this offseason. They don't have a ton of money available to them. They certainly do not have resources to trade. Their top prospect was just hurt. He was supposed to play center field for them next year. Well, Mike Trout happens to play center field when he's healthy. I think that's the kind of thing that you'll see here. Alex, do you think that the Cardinals will or should get into these negotiations? I, I, I mean, I would. you have to check in on it like because it's Mike Trout. Now, the injury history is scary, but we talked about it a little yesterday. Like in the perfect scenario of the Nolan Arenado move where you're not giving up much and they're going to eat some of the money, yeah, I'd probably pull the trigger on that because you do need help in center field and Mike Trout's bat obviously plays. But ev- like those, all of the stars have to align for this deal to work out for the Cardinals. Because as much as I would love Mike Trout, there are five other areas that I feel like need to be upgraded by this team that are going to cost you significant money. And that's one through three in your starting pitching rotation and somebody in the bullpen. You get those figured out and the money works out for Mike Trout. Yeah, sure. Check in on it. But I still think the cost is going to be too much in terms of prospects and you can't afford it. So I would say the Cardinals shouldn't because they've got other major areas to address. Yeah. It's all a money thing for me. Yeah, I totally agree with you there, too. I Because I said I said yesterday, I, I think when you look at the Mike Trout situation, it feels like a mo move where it is. You're not going. It's not going to cost that much in terms of. I agree with you. I don't think they're going to get the haul that you would. A lot of fans would expect. I think they're probably going to eat a lot of money in that contract to get it out of town if it's going to work in a trade. But the thing is, too, is I just don't know if it fits into this off season where you need three starting pitchers and you probably got to add to the bullpen. Like there's already a lot that is on the table. We've talked about it. The shopping list feels long already for the Cardinals. They got to go address the needs before they start to even look at the want. And Mike Trout would fit into the want conversation. Though he is great, and I would love to see him put the birds on the bat and see him roam center field for the 100 games he's healthy next year. I I just don't see how you go after him when you've got so many needs in the starting rotation and you feel pretty confident in what you have in your system in terms of you're probably, what, two another full season away before you see Victor Scott. And if he's what the Cardinals expect him to be, then you're not going to need to go out and get a aging superstar in Mike Trout. Yeah, again, if if you had all the money in the world, if the Cardinals had no issues with their money situation and they they 
they weren't under a budget and they operated like the Dodgers or the Mets or one of those teams, I would be pounding the table for them to go make this move. I would say, screw Victor Scott. We'll figure that out when we get there. Like, at that point, you probably move Mike Trout to one of the corners to try to keep him a little more healthy. To be honest, Victor Scott will get playing time because Trout's going to be injured. True. Like, you just figure that out. Victor Scott is not making my decisions about whether or not to go out there and acquire Mike Trout. Mike Trout's $35 million salary for like the next seven years is what's making my decision on him. It ultimately becomes a question of, would you like to get Mike Trout or one of the big time pitchers that we're talking about on the open market? And for this team, they have to prioritize one of those big time starting pitchers. Their issue is not and has not been, despite what the text line will tell you, their offense or what they're getting right now out of center field. Like if Lars Nupar ends up playing out there next season, He'll be fine. If they have Tommy Edmond out there playing, especially against left-handed pitching, he's going to be really good defensively and he's going to be fine offensively for you. They have to improve the starting rotation. And with the way that they budget for things, they've probably got about $50 million to spend. If they were to go out there and acquire Mike Trout, even if the angels were to throw some money into this thing, you're talking about only having like $20 million left over, maybe 30. That does not get you the pitching that you're going to need this offseason. And by the way, to Alex's point, you have to give up something in this deal. And so we're talking about giving up assets, paying a ton of money and not helping the the rotation the way that it needs to. It's just it's not something that I could see them doing. Do you guys have a team in mind that makes sense for him, though? Like somebody that immediately comes to mind of, I think he should go here. I mean, Philly, but that's I don't know how much money they're going to or how they're going to be able to pull that off, but I wouldn't put it past them. Seattle might be another one. I know Rodriguez plays out there, but like you said, you could put him in a corner outfield spot, add a bat, add the defense, and that's a team that's got the cost-controlled pitching right now that they can take that on. So they'd be another one if they don't get the Shohei Otani move. Houston's a team that I think we should throw into this mix. They don't really have a center fielder right now. That's a good one. Yeah, I forgot all about the Houston Astros. I've been assuming on the East Coast because he's from New Jersey. Baltimore. They won't spend money. What do I know? But if they if they were willing to spend money, it's a kind of a moot point. It's like our text line, right? Like Tanner just played the text line oh. role of, hey, the Cardinals should go get blank for the starting rotation. They're not going to do that, BK. They don't spend any money. That's basically Baltimore. Yeah. Well, no, but it's, I, you're, you're right. They're, they're the one team that I would say, like, you can rule them out of anything because they've got <laughs> maybe the worst ownership group in all of baseball. It's true. Fair. That well, guy's Angels just, might that be guy's up there. terrible. Angels um, might be up there. Well, at least that guy was willing to spend on his team. This guy's like crying poor. Oh, I don't have a lease. He said, enjoy this core while you can yeah. because we can't resign. And them. for us to keep nice. it, ticket prices have to go Dude, up. Hell yeah. What are you doing, man? I mean, you, you mentioned you the Yankees. the best record of the American League right now. Allow your fans to at least enjoy it while they got it. Well, he told them to. <laughs> he said, enjoy it while it's here. You know who, you know who would be gone. fun? But I, I don't know if they would do it either just because they – their ownership is starting to become more criticized in the and it's on the east coast would be boston boston is so desperately looking f- to spend yeah. money or at least their fan base wants them to this would be the kind of move if you go out and get a guy that's going to be there for seven years i don't think I'm it's a superstar i i don't either and i and uh, that's because i think bloom and ownership have become very uh conservative of their this, assets in boston this seems like a cubs kind of thing though if the cubs are trying to put them on the map that's next actually year a good one yeah their gm by the way is going to be scouting yamamoto in person jed hoyer will be in japan Where's for Mo? his next Mo, start get on the plane he's gonna send gersh isn't he gersh is in his scuba gear Hey, no, hey, no. Yoshida, you ready to go snorkeling? He's watching Imanaga pitch rather than watching uh You can Yamamoto. watch both of them pitch. No, no, no. Only one, and poor Gersh has got to go watch Imanaga. 
He doesn't get he's to wearing watch, the snorkeling gear. He doesn't get to go watch Yamamoto, which when Cashman went and watched me through a freaking <laughs> no-hitter. No Gersh <laughs> is sitting there watching Imanaga with his goggles and his snorkel on. It's like, guys. I continue to believe the Yankees are the team that makes the most sense in this scenario. They just, like, they, they've got a massive hole in their roster. Man. I, I know it's another old what an injured player. What an outfield on the injured list. <laughs> Stanton, Judge, Trout. The best team that never played. <laughs> like, that's what that is. What if I told you? They they could replace the guy that was a great defensive center fielder who, when he played, played pretty well in Harrison Bader with another guy that is also a great defensive center fielder who, <laughs> when, when he, he plays, plays, he plays really well. <laughs> it's basically a one-for-one replacement. Yeah, yeah totally. So, uh, so final thing that I wanted to get to here. Obviously, Mike Trout is not going to play into this conversation for 2023. Maybe he will for 24. How many teams can realistically win the World Series this year, guys? One. According to the Cardinals. The Cardinals! They're still not out of it mathematically. I think that will actually change potentially today. I saw somebody tweeting about that. Hey, the oh, only no. stat that matters is this the is Cardinals. This is a must win, and we're throwing our ace out there and waiting today? The only thing Good. that matters is the Cardinals will not have 100 losses this season. Only stat that yeah, matters. Yeah, it's official. Yeah, the 63rd win. I Congrats. for sure they'd get there. Congrats. Uh, no, it's one team. No, I don't, I don't believe any team can beat the Atlanta Braves. I, I just think that's a juggernaut. I, So I think I kind of agree. I think I would put them in this conversation. I do have some serious concerns about their bullpen. Their bullpen has some major question marks in it, and Rasael Iglesias has really struggled of late. I think I would still put I, – I think the Astros still have to belong in this conversation. I mean, they've gotten my, Michael Brantley back. They've got a loaded lineup. They've got a loaded rotation, and their bullpen is solid as well. So I, I would say I would put Houston here – I. I don't know if I would put the teams in the AL East. Like I know Baltimore, Tampa Bay were kind of the hot teams, and they're don't get me wrong, they are playing really well. Baltimore with a huge loss and Batista going down. Yeah. Uh, Tampa Bay might come back. Yeah, they're saying he's going to pitch. I saw he was throwing yesterday, it's which weird. is bizarre. This guy's so impressive; he can pitch without a UCL. I, you know, remember when we saw him for the first time, uh, and we said afterwards, "Who is that guy? Where did he come from?" And then he because was listed, a mutant. He was listed at like six foot one. <laughs> like, yeah, you're lying. Pounds. But I think for me, it's the Braves and the Astros. I think those are the only two for me. The Rangers have a bullpen question mark. And I I just don't believe in the Mariners. I know they've gotten hot and they've become kind of that big, sexy team that is like, oh, wow, this is the team you don't want to run into in the playoffs. I'm just not completely buying in on them. So I've got five teams that can win win the World Series this year. Hey, nobody went into last year thinking that the Phillies were going to do it. They Nobody. Yeah, but well, I don't didn't. think anybody would have put them on this list that we're talking about. Who's going to win? Who? Yeah, you asked who's winning it. Who can yeah. realistically win it? Yeah, and I don't think the they would have been on that list. had a chance to realistically win it last yeah, year. Yeah, last year, but I don't know if anybody would have said that going into the playoffs. Well, we should have. We were wrong. We were predicting the Cardinals. They fired their too. manager. No, they didn't have a realistic chance. They, they did. They obviously. just did the impossible, <laughs> and then they lost to the World Series. But they didn't um, win it. I've got five, and I think it actually might be six. <laughs> I've got oh. nine. I've got the whole playoff yeah, field. I've got everybody. I only have two in the National League. I think that's probably fair. I think it is the Braves or the Phillies. I think those are the only two teams that can realistically get to and win the World Series this year out of the National League. In the AL, I think it's more wide open. I've got the Astros, the Mariners, the Blue Jays, and I think I'm going to throw the Orioles on this list. I don't know about the Orioles, but I think they can do it. Their pitching just makes me so nervous, dude. I, I don't know that they've got enough pitching wise to be able to get through the postseason but those other five teams i feel pretty confident in having enough to be able to do it i just don't believe in the the sentiment of get in and anything can happen i the reason i didn't put the phillies on this list 
is because last year I think we probably I think you're right we probably should have put them on a list like this because I mean, they, they had, had a pitching. they had a two headed monster up front in Wheeler and Nola exactly and this year Nola's just underperformed and that's why I'm a little hesitant to throw them on the list he has not been the same guy he was last right. year and because of that I go okay it's Zach Wheeler but it could change at any moment maybe Nola and okay. that's the thing it could and if he does if he does become the guy he was last year in the playoffs. Then absolutely, they're on this list. I think they're the biggest threat to the Braves. Someone texted in and said it should be fourteen. It's the Mo model. Get in, and anything can happen. Hey, it's not just the Mo model for what it's worth. That's what a lot of teams across Major League Baseball genuinely believe, and it is influencing decisions across the league. And it's why the Phillies continue yeah. to make the postseason because they will of, take advantage of those other teams that aren't making the bold decisions that the Phillies are willing. But a to. lot of teams build teams that can get in. Touche, sir. Touche. Coming up in about 10 minutes or so. You'll get there, buddy. The first Hold week on. of the season is officially a continuation in the NFL of the preseason. And we need to reel in our legitimate takes from the first week of the season because of that. So we'll get into that coming up in about 10 minutes or so. But coming up next, the junk drawer, including a story I legitimately couldn't believe when I saw it here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's open it up. The junk drawer with BK and Ferrario. Brought to you by Fenton Bar and Grill. Best trashed wings in Missouri. Dine in. Carry out. Seven days a week. So, Alex, last night we all had a reaction when Aaron Rodgers went down with his injury. We now know it was a torn Achilles. Were you excited, disappointed, upset? How did you immediately react to the news? Make me you out saw like it? I'm a psychopath. Why would I be excited about it? I think there were some that were. Okay. I think some people just really dislike Aaron Rodgers. Look, I won't deny like it. When Tom Brady got hurt, I think I'm pretty sure he's said as much. Randy Carricker celebrated it. Yeah. Because he hated him. Look, I won't deny it. I, uh, I was amused. When I first heard that he was taken off of the field, sure, all of us wanted his like life or his long term health yeah. to be in place. But if it's you know yeah. sprained ankle or something, if you missed the, you missed the season, I think it's that. yeah, it's okay. But I was not happy about it. I, I think, think my initial true. reaction was, "That's a shame." <laughs> and then I went, "Oh wait, he'll probably come out for the second half." But, but then I saw him in a walking boot and went, oh, well, that's but then a shame." I, but then I actually you know thought about the Green Bay Packers and how pissed off they truly are right now. Sure. Uh, so one of my best friends is a Jets fan, and my immediate reaction was, I got to text this guy. <laughs> I need chaos in my life. Because this, this is friendship. Guy's whole season BK's has been a r- destroyed. Dancing on his like, grave. Hey, how you doing? Yeah. Hey, you buddy. okay over there? Hey, buddy, what happened to your quarterback? So, I, I'm going to block your number if something happens to the Rams. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Tanner's the one that can talk as Mizzou is struggling over the weekend. T-Bone's just over here. Hot. How about them Tigers? And then he texted us. He's like, hey, I got the Illinois game taped i shouldn't don't tell me what happened in it both of us are like don't waste your time friday night i went to columbia watched the game out there at um at log boat and (laughs) t-bone texts us he said something about how his game was not an easy watch on friday and he's like at least i've got the line i had to watch when we go home (laughs) alex said i wouldn't watch man he said oh it can't be that bad i said tanner i would be totally honest i knew it was bad I got a text probably 10 minutes later. My dad's like, man, the Illini. I was like, oh, don't say anything, but oh, okay. <laughs> Anytime somebody says, man, you're like, oh, shoot. Well, I'm not watching that anymore. It was 
that bad. So anyways, uh, I was texting with my buddy last night and made sure that his life was a living hell as he said, <laughs> I'm going to throw up. Legitimately going to throw up. I can't believe Roger seriously got hurt on the fourth play. <laughs> <laughs> then he said, Roger's died so I could be happy at the ending of that game. <laughs> I think Which, I'm going to throw up. So... He was on one side of the spectrum when it came to the reaction of Rodgers going down last night. Packers fans that went to a specific bar that offered free drinks the entire night if the Jets were to lose had a very different reaction as Rodgers goes down. Here is the reaction from that bar on the news in Green Bay. Another condition is Aaron Rodgers must start the game, but the rules say nothing about him having to finish it. So there's a loud roar when Rodgers leaves the game hurt in the first quarter. The fans say it's nothing personal. I mean, I'm not necessarily opposed to Rodgers, but uh, tonight I'm thinking with my wallet instead. And the mood has changed considerably. That is because the Jets just won the game on a long touchdown in overtime. You can take a look. This is the reaction from a bar where people are realizing the bar tabs they've been racking up all night, thinking, certainly with Rogers hurt, the bar was going to be paying that tab. It is setting in. They are going to have to go to the bar and pay that tab. Do these fans yeah. kind of deserve it for cheering for a Packers Hall of Famer and a Super Bowl champion and four-time MVP to get injured? I don't think that they were cheering for the injury bill as much as they were cheering for their odds of having a free night of booze on the house. They weren't going to have to pay for it. It was a thought, at least, when Rodgers got hurt. I have a feeling that come tomorrow morning, a lot of these folks are going to wake up unhappy about the bar type they had to pay and unhappy that some of them showed up on video clapping and waving at the screen when a Packers legend got hurt. I think that reporter needs to get out of that bar like <laughs> ASAP. So that took place at Jack's American Pub in Wisconsin. That audio courtesy of CBS 58. They were set up for a live shot while the Jets game came to an end last night. So that was an actual live reaction as that bar heard Seriously, that and reporter saw should have left. that the Jets had just won. So everybody there thought they were drinking on the house. All along from the, basically from the moment that Rodgers goes down early in the first quarter for the next three and a half hours as the game goes to overtime, they're all saying, hey, free shots, free drinks. Alex, you know how you and I would be drinking. Was T-bone? it free food, too? I don't think so. I think it was just okay, drinks. So drinks. Yeah. Okay, so drinks. But I mean, well, that's hey, good. could rack up a pretty, oh, I was gonna say, pretty nice bar tab. The whole time I'm thinking, I'm like, yeah, if I'm there with, with like you guys, our bar tab is racked up like significant. Well like, over couple hundred bucks oh yeah i'm thinking at least five or six hundred bucks and i'm feeling fine how many people ran out of that bar and just like not paid or did they tell security like hey stand at the door imagine you you got to put a card uh card oh yeah i guess that's true yeah with the tab yeah you're right yeah there's no way what a miserable night that is brutal, dude. You wake up the next morning, you're like, are you bleeping kidding me? Try explaining that one to the wife. Zach wilson that bar owner I can't. Yeah, where's the live shot of the of the bar owner? The owner's in the back, like uh, (laughs) he's like Mr. Penguin in Batman. He's like, yeah, he's just making it rain on everybody that's in the bar. They they open up the uh, the owner's office and he's just rolling around in money. (laughs) DJ Khaled song comes on the jukebox. All I do is win. Just. The big guy in uh, break is it Breaking Bad? <laughs> He's just <laughs> chilling on the money, doing a little shimmy. 
That's it. Doc McScrooge yeah, Duck just swimming in that gold right now. All right, coming up in about 15 minutes or so, we'll get to better to forget it. 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line. But next, man, the first week of the season sucked in the NFL. If we're just being totally honest. The quality of the games was abysmal. And that should play in to the way that we evaluate some of these games. Apparently, the two of you need a little bit of a talking to after what you did yesterday. We'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. BK, so the week one NFL slate kind of stunk. Let's be honest about it. The quality of the games was not particularly good. The passing offenses were just not ready for prime time. And that's a reality that we're going to have to deal with moving forward. Rams are ready. Were they? Or the Seattle Seahawks not ready? <laughs> Did you see Stafford? Some Did of you this see is Gino? because the preseason oh, isn't what it once was. Teams do not treat it as something to get their players ready. They treat it as something that is a necessary evil, unfortunately, for them. So many of them just flat out don't play their starters in the preseason. Training camp is not what it once was. A lot of teams treat it as, ah, we'll, we'll get our ramp-up period to the regular season so that way these guys are in shape and stuff. But let's be honest, we're not going to go out there and go all out because we don't want these guys to be hurt or tired by the time that the regular season starts. And the result is what we saw yesterday. Most of the offenses stunk yesterday, especially in the early slate. Now, that changed a bit when we saw the Dolphins versus the Chargers. I don't know how much of that was just terrible defense versus really great offense. I think the Dolphins and the Chargers are both going to have really good offenses this year, though. But, guys, I know yesterday you did, what was it, the panic or patience? Yeah. And I know that there was some overreactions taking place specifically from T-Bone. It's I'm, true. I'm just sitting over here on my martini corner, sipping a martini, saying, hey, most of these teams that we thought were going to be good are going to be fine. Chiefs are going to be fine. Bengals are going to be really good this year. Okay, well, both teams we said patience on. Oh, you did? Yeah. Who'd you say say panic on? Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh was panic. They're going to be fine. No, they're not. Kenny Pickett's terrible. They're not going to be fine, like two segments ago. No, I'm worried about Kenny Pickett. He looked terrible yesterday, but they're going to be fine. Panic was on the Titans. Yeah, I panicked on the Titans because I think Tannehill was bad. bad. Well, I, well, I didn't know, think I, I think, thought they had the weapons. I didn't think Tannehill was going to be that bad. Who was the other one that we had panic on? Uh, was was another Giants. One. Oh, yeah, Giants. No, I think we said patience with the Vikings. No, I think I panicked on the Vikings. Did you? I mean, I I panicked on the fact I mean, that they have no running game, but they've got the weapons. Uh, the Giants were the other panic, but I think that's a clear, evident panic. Yeah, most of the teams that we knew were fraudulent last year are fraudulent. The Giants are bad. We so knew that. you don't that. have to be so upset with us, And you don't okay? have to be so aggressive about yeah. it. The Vikings were not a very good team last year. They were one of the luckiest teams in the history of the NFL. Save your text, Vikings fan, on the text line. I don't need to hear from you. It's Vikings true. Vikings fan. There's just, one. there's just, there was nothing really to believe in those teams. Like, Justin Jefferson's amazing. I think Kirk Cousins is genuinely underrated. I think he's a really solid quarterback who, because he got paid what he did, because he got the contracts that he did, People had the discussion of, is he elite? No, he's not, but that's okay. You don't have to be elite. He's a really good quarterback that the Vikings wanted because they know their options. So they went out and they spent a lot of money for a top 15-ish quarterback in the league. That's what he is. The defense is terrible, and they're still trying to figure out some of the other stuff going on with their roster. The Bears are bad. 
That, that I think we know. There, there's legitimate reasons to panic there. But for a lot of these teams, it's it's totally worthy of, of patience. I mean, last year, the Bengals looked terrible early in the season. They were fine. Ended up being one of the biggest threats to the Chiefs in the AFC to go to the Super Bowl. And I think the same is going to be true this year. Let's wait until we get about a month in to really panic on any of these legitimate contenders. If it was a bad team that showed you bad things, sure, it's confirmation bias, but you can assume they're probably going to be a bad team. But the good ones that struggled in week one, I'm having patience with just about every single one of them. Yeah, I mean, the 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 panic for me on a couple of teams in week one were the ones that were like fringe teams. I didn't know what they were going to be. Like the Titans are a perfect example. Like I thought the Titans could be better than what they showed in that first week. But what I saw forced me into the panic mode because I don't think Ryan Tannehill just gets better over time. I think I Ryan Tannehill is just going to get worse. But a lot of the teams that underperformed, and this is the part I hate the preseason because this is what we get for the first two weeks of the NFL. But I, I understand what you're saying. This is basically the NFL players saying, like, we'll bleep you guys for adding more games of the regular season. We're going to treat it this way. It, it just sucks because the first two weeks, like the Philadelphia Eagles are not bad, but Philadelphia did not. Jalen Hurts looked awful in that game. Yep. But I know by week three, week four, dude's probably going to be playing like an MVP. Lamar Jackson can't be that bad. But in the first half, he looked awful. But like, that's the part that's so infuriating as a fan of just watching football. I don't want to have to just suffer through terrible games in the first two weeks. The NFL is now where the NBA is. Where it's, hey, it's going to take you about a month to figure out who these teams are. The first month of the season is them figuring things out. And then after that, we start to learn what these NBA teams are. And then you've got the buyout deadlines, the trade deadlines, all of that other stuff where you kind of reconstruct your roster going into the postseason. And the NFL is going to have some of that this year as well. I think there's going to be some teams that start falling off as we get closer to the trade deadline. And you might see legitimate pieces moved now because there are some teams that appear to be either tanking or something approaching the tank mode. Um, and I think that's going to influence this year's trade deadline as well. I will say this. There is one team that I am still standing pat on that I panicked on, and I am very worried. And maybe you guys will say that I just had too high of expectations for them. Seattle for me. That that was a very concerning loss. That's it. That home. was the one that I was going to point to. Is that yeah. I don't really know what to make of that one. Because there was everything that was... And we talked about it. Alex even threw my team under the bus in the Pick'em Challenge. Um, but I mean, your team should be terrible. Your team, I stand by my statement, your team blows. They should not have a pass rush outside of Aaron Donald. And they were able to get to Geno Smith, not just Aaron Donald. The whole D-line was able to. They were able to shut down. They did not run the ball as much. I think part of that was because they fell behind. So that I don't read too much into. But then defensively, they could not get pressure on Matthew Stafford on an offensive line that was described on everything that I read and heard in podcasts going into the year as just a bunch of depth pieces that happen to be starters for a team and then they also are not able to so not get to the quarterback they can't stop the run again which was a consistent issue from last year there were a lot of concerning things around the Seattle Seahawks they are the team that I would circle and I still stand by as saying you should panic if you are a either a Seattle Seahawks fan or be weary about them not living up to expectations this year 314-399-9646 is the air comfort service text line from the 314 this is one of those things where I think I had a tone issue again yeah you did you always have a tone from the 314 how the hell is BK gonna take a day off on a Monday and then come in and rip T-Bone and Alex on their takes from the day before I love the show and never say anything negative about you guys but wow great takes and great show yesterday if you don't like a BK then go to work yeah that is true I, uh, he walked in the office say alex and he bopped me on the top of the head and went, what are you panicking over what is he, little bunny, what is he little bunny foo-foo yeah he was like what are you doing who's so, panicking also what i love about that is that i've never said anything negative what our texters don't know is we have a log of all of your texts so i'm scrolling back through to find out if you've ever said anything negative squirt bottles out of water by the way
Oh. Was there anything negative? Yeah, right here. Alex should stand in a corner like a child because he's <laughs> acting like one. I never say anything negative. <laughs> Touche. Uh, at least that one was about you. They, they were probably talking about me. Me and T-Bone, man. I didn't say anything negative about the two of us. Now, listen, I, I'm just giving him crap. Like, if you want to overreact to what we saw in week one, go ahead and overreact. To yeah, Bill's missing the playoffs. It's sports. None of this matters. If Bill's we're being missing totally the playoffs. <laughs> they might. Their, their quarterback apparently stinks. I, I think Thursday's a really big night. For the Vikings, if you if you want to continue to believe in the Vikings, I know Marshy's probably listening right now as a, a Vikings fan. Yeah, poor guy. Starting zero and two, and this is a tough spot going on the road at Philly, and then you've got the Chargers the following week, and then two weeks after that you've got Kansas City. That is not an easy way to begin. It is entirely possible, probably even likely, they start the year one and four. And if you start the year one and four in the NFL. Man, I, I don't know if you you guys have been in those locker rooms before when a team is really struggling early on in a football season. Yeah, the Rams' final three years here. Dude, <laughs> it is brutal. I mean, those guys, it, it every weekend just feels so big for them. And when you have a month of losing, especially when you have expectations, it's, it's rough. And your season feels like it's over before it ever began. So I think this is a really big game for the Vikings if you have any belief left in them. Just quit your overreaction over there. They'll be fine. Even though they're going to get destroyed in this game, they'll be fine. No, another team that I would throw into this mix? Because I do think that Chiefs. they're going to be totally fine. But oh. Bengals? Oh, See, anybody I, who thinks the Bengals are going to be bad, like, come on now. I think they're going to be totally fine. I'm not worried about them at all. They're going to be an 11-win team still. If they start 0-2, though, it does start to put some questions into the back of your mind of what what is this going to be? How hard are you going to have to fight in order to get into the playoffs? And what does it look like once you do get in? They have a little of that feel to me, kind of as what we've talked about with the Blues going into the year, where there are expectations. There's guys, T. Higgins the guy, where there's a contract where it is not settled and then a teammate just got paid in Joe Burrow sure. to where something just seems a little bit off where that could potentially play out. I don't think it will, but I get a little bit of that vibe to that scenario in Cincinnati. And then to your point on the Steelers, T-Bone, that's another team that if if things go awry here and you start the year 0-2 with a home game against Cleveland next week, then yeah, you're, you're, you're behind the eight ball. And now you have to go 10-5 and the rest of the way just to get into the playoffs. And that just... It's remarkably difficult to be able to accomplish something like that when you were already battling from the bottom of your division. Um, so some of these teams, it's not panic time yet, but it does. It makes the urgency that much more for them. And that's ultimately where they end up. So um, big week for the Bengals. Big week if you're a believer in them. I'm not. But if you are for the Vikings and a big week going into Monday night football for a team like the Steelers as well. For Alex and T-Bone, I'm BK. Coming up next, 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line for Better to Forget It here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Vegas sets them up, and we're here to make the call. It's BK and Ferrario's Bet It or Forget It on 101 ESPN. Nine six four six is the Air Comfort Service text line for Bet It or Forget Hold It. Hold on. What the hell just happened? You have the happened? wrong music, Bet. I didn't even get to sing my... 
Oh, yeah, you're right. I do have the wrong Throw us to break. We'll come back on the other side. trash. You don't even have to throw us to break. Just at least give us the new intro. You said throw us to break, and the AI Tanner goes, does not compute, does not compute, throw to break me. I'm struggling to find the actual bed. Somebody Alex is right. Yeah. T-Bone got too big for his britches. Yeah. He was, was so it, was used to being the number two on this show yeah, that he became the number two producer <laughs> hey. for a second. Yeah. Where's Grant when we need him? All right. right. Shut up. We're coming back. Vegas sets him up, and we're here to make the call. It's BK and Ferrario's Bet It or Forget It on 101 ESPN. Try. 314-399-9646 <laughs> is the air comfort service tax line for bet it or forget it. If you've got a scenario, we'll tell you if we are betting it or forgetting it. By the way, you're on 101 ESPN. That guy that texted in and said he never says anything negative. I texted back or when I said it, and I, he texted and I said at work while I listen, I'll have to work on my punctuation and grammar so people know when I'm being sarcastic. I got you, sir or madam. We see all your negative comments that you send to us. We sure and do. we never we're like elephants. Guys, bet it or forget it. Really the SEC memory. will be blocked from the college football playoff this year and will get zero teams into the college football playoff. Bet it or forget it. Georgia is still a part of the SEC, right? Yeah. Okay. I'm forgetting it then. Why is Georgia not going to be? Do you think they stink too? I'm worried about Georgia. I am too. Really? Yeah. I would bet this. Not as like, I think they're going to win 10 or 11 games. I think they're going to be really, really I good. And they don't have a very difficult schedule. But they still get in. So I'm going to forget this. Okay. Mark my words. Georgia's the last hope for the SEC. Agreed. Oh, I would agree um, with that. Nobody else is getting in. Who's the second best team in the SEC this year? Is it Bama still? I think so. I mean, they were impressed. They played well against Texas. Yep. There's enough to look at that and be kind of impressed with them. I think so if you have Saban, you're always up at that com- in that conversation. Tennessee has a quarterback that can't hit the broad side of the barn. That's true. LSU has Do some you issues. use that saying an awful lot? The broad side of a barn? I do feel like that's an old saying. Like no, the over-under I- on somebody who says that is definitely <laughs> 75. I like that saying. I would get of that on a t-shirt. Of course Tanner that saying. Like you were either born in 1965 or earlier. Or you, you have that. a farm <laughs> and a barn. Oh, um, that makes sense. I'll so that's my not great. One. LSU already lost their big game against Florida State, and they've got a game coming up against Alabama later this season as well. The SEC stinks this year, man. I'm sorry. Somebody's got to say it. It's terrible. So if Georgia doesn't make it in, they're not getting anybody in. I'm going to say I forget it. I don't think Georgia gets in. I think people will say because the SEC is down, their schedule was easy. And they didn't really beat anybody. If they get one loss in their schedule, I think other teams will get in above them this year. Does the Pac-12 get two teams in? They absolutely could. They could. I mean, the problem for them is I think they're just going to feast on each other. Like yeah. that is, there's there are eight teams in the top God. 25 now from the. Who would have thought the Pac-12 was going to be the most exciting conference to watch this season? It's amazing, especially with all of the news of their other conferences merging together. R.I.P. Pac-12. Yeah, R.I.P. With that one. All right, I got one for you guys. Bet it or forget it. Scott Perunovich has a similar season to Quinn Hughes's no, first. Hey, hold on a minute. All right. Damn it. Next question has a similar season to the first full year of Quinn Hughes and earns rookie of the year conversation. Yeah, forget it. No, forget it. Do you guys know he was still like, could be considered a rookie. Yeah. I, did. I, I didn't realize I did because that. Because break, you're like, oh my gosh, he's a rookie. Well, that, that's, a, that's a peek behind the curtain that nobody else needs, uh, man. Well, I want to sound intelligent they did here. Because this question's is really easy. Forget it. If he stays healthy, he can't eight goals and 45 assists, 53 points. That's what Quinn Hughes 20, had in his first 22 year. 22 minutes and 
Yeah, he ain't getting that. That was also Quinn Hughes in his first year. Okay, but that's fine. But we're talking top four for Scott Pernovich, number one power play unit. Are we? If he stays healthy, we I are. I don't think he's going to earn top four minutes. I think he will be a third pairing defenseman no matter what. If he stays healthy there's and has a good preseason, I, there's no way you play him on a third pair. I, 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 I think that I, I will you're, bet you're, that. Well, you're an idiot, sir. You're an absolute idiot. <laughs> to, answer the, to answer your question that you asked us, <laughs> I'm forgetting it. I do not believe that guys. he will be in the Norris Trophy conversation, and I do not believe that he will be in the conversation for Rookie of the Year either now. You're an idiot. Do you? I do. I think he can put up 50 points this season if he stays healthy. And if you're going to put up 50 points as a defenseman, you're going to earn some votes. He's not winning it. He's not going to be in the top three. I think he earns votes for it, though. Okay. Uh, bet it or forget it. Matthew Libertor will forget be in it. the bullpen Stupid. on op- the opening day roster next year. I'll bet it. I'll yeah. bet that one. Yeah. Yeah. See, that's a bet it or forget it. No, that's the like easiest bet it or forget. Oh, bet it or forget it. The Kansas City Chiefs are going to be a playoff team this year. Forget it. Put it on a silver platter. I can't catch the damn football. <laughs> um, no, but I maybe I should maybe make it harder then. Be a high leverage reliever for the Cardinals. Forget it. That, that's why I pushed it too far. That, Damn it. That's where, and into the toilet. That's where my line is. I think he will be part of that sixth inning mix. I think middle be, reliever. Yeah. M- middle innings. What What if in the next three years that same question is asked? Because I do believe that you could use him in high leverage situations in a few years. I, I think he's got Andrew Miller-esque stuff. I still think they believe he's going to be a starter eventually. Oh, well, the Cardinals are in denial. Like a number five starter eventually. So I, I'm going to say I forget it no matter what in terms of the leverage arm. But I do think that he works his way into the bullpen next year. I think that's where he starts out the season. I'd agree with that because I've been impressed in the two outings he's had. And we'll see if it continues. But I do like him if he can't maintain Velo throughout a start then throw him in the bullpen and have him go an inning. And I think he can be in that middle relief role. And if for whatever reason there are some injuries, maybe he can propel himself to high large. I was I was glad, maybe even excited, I would say, to hear Ollie say postgame last night the plan was for him to have the seventh. Yep. And I, I want to see them continue to slowly build him into higher leverage roles. Uh, better to forget it. 301-499-9646 is the air comfort service X line from the 636. Guys, better to forget it. Colorado will make it to the college football playoff this year. I say better. I don't know what they're sc- in. Yeah, I don't know what their schedule looks like. I just I'm all aboard this Colorado it's hype train. A Pac-12 schedule, which means that it's difficult. They've uh, got at Oregon here in a couple of weeks, USC at home, at UCLA, Oregon State, Washington State on the road, and Utah on the road. Every single game that I just mentioned is against a top 25 opponent. I, I think they're a. I don't think they're a joke. I don't think they're a facade. I think they're a really good team. I think Coach Prime, which by the way, I just like. What are we doing, Coach Sanders? It's fine. Anyway. He, he demands that I know, people who come I know. to the team call him pro, Coach You can't Prime. put them in the playoff. You're not going to call the coach by his yeah, name. Yeah, I can. I can. His name is Coach Sanders. Anyway, I, I I think he's got his players bought into the way that he's playing. And I know a lot of people are like, how does this sustain over time to have these two-way players? I don't think it matters. I think he's got guys that are bought into it. And if you do, you're going to be a successful team. So I'm going to say bet this one. I think they're in. I'm going to forget it, but I think I could see where they're in the conversation after Oregon. Oregon had a disappointing game this week against, uh, I can't remember, who, Texas Tech. They're on the road. Did not play particularly well. I could see where they can go into Oregon and beat Oregon, and there's all that hype surrounding them, and then they could lose to USC. Yeah. And I don't even think USC's a playoff team. I have too many concerns about the defense, but that is a gauntlet of a schedule, and I, I think they're good. They're an eight-win team for me. I don't think they're a playoff team. I'm worried about the schedule being too difficult for Notre Dame. 
who I think might be a better team overall than Colorado. And this is no shot against Colorado. I think they're legit. I think they're a legitimate top 20 team in the country. But Notre Dame has Ohio State, Duke, and USC. It's three games that are legitimately difficult on their schedule. Colorado has like six of them, dude. Being in the Pac-12 this year is very similar to being in the SEC in most typical seasons. But maybe even more so because you've got these quarterbacks up and down the conference, dude. I mean, Utah, who has started out 2-0, but, ooh, boy, did they make it difficult this week. Didn't even freaking cover. (laughs) They haven't had their starting quarterback yet. And he's been one of the best quarterbacks in the Pac-12 over the last couple of seasons. So... That conference is a gauntlet. I will I will forget this. I do not think that they end up making it to the college football playoff, but that is not a shot against Colorado or what they're building out there. What Dion has done is nothing short of amazing. Do not sleep on that Washington State quarterback. He looked excellent against Wisconsin this week in Cameron Ward. He's thrown for 663 yards, and he's able to run the ball a little bit as well. Don't sleep on him. He's not anywhere near like DJ Uyungle, Bo Nix, all those guys. But for Washington State to be the quote-unquote bottom of the top teams in the Pac-12, that kid played really well against Wisconsin. Have you seen what Michael Penix is doing, by the way? Legit. 900 yards for the first two weeks. 900 yards and eight touchdowns, one pick. He's only been sacked once. Washington's really good again as well. USC, Washington, um, Utah, Oregon, Oregon State, Colorado, Washington State, UCLA are all ranked in the top 25 right now from that conference. It's it's absurd, dude. That is a hell of a lot of fun to watch, and it's going to be dead this time next year coming up next let's continue the conversation about Dion can this intrigue surrounding his team continue into the late window this is the first time he's really been put to the test in terms of how much national intrigue he has when they are on in the late window the way that they will be many times this season we'll talk about that coming up next and I got some thoughts on Eli Drinkwitz here on 101 ESPN we're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Alongside Alex and T-Bone, I'm BK. So Fox Sports has been following around Colorado over the first couple of weeks of the season, and it's proven to be a incredibly profitable venture for Fox so far. When you look at what they're doing with how they are featuring Dion's program, guys, this week, Colorado's win over Nebraska scored 8.7 million viewers. That is the best Pac-12 regular season game ever on Fox It is the 10th most watched regular season college football game ever. And it is on Fox specifically. And it is the second most streamed college football game in Fox Sports' history. All of these numbers are eye-popping. When you look at how it compared to the rest rest of the slate this week in college football, only Texas versus Alabama had more viewers than Nebraska versus Colorado. Nebraska's not even good, guys. Dion had that kind of an impact on the viewership. I mean, we're talking about Colorado here in St. Louis because they are a national storyline. This week is when I think that viewership gets really put to the test. Do we have enough intrigue about Dion to watch them against Colorado State? And to do so specifically when it's a 9 o'clock kickoff. This is a game that's going to be on ESPN. It's bedtime for Alex. They're going to once again have the Fox Sports desk over there for their pregame show at Colorado. 
are you guys going to be watching this one or is this one where you'll take the week off and then next week you get back to it whenever they take on Oregon? I am like I'm planning on watching the nine o'clock versus Colorado State and I'm continuing to watch them just because I'm intrigued. And I don't even know if it's Dion is the intrigue with it. I think it's just the style of football that they play because I just haven't seen it. And it's a coach that's aggressive and I like watching that's exciting football to me. But when you've got guys that are playing two sides of the field, I'm always curious how they come up. And frankly, it's a team that came out of nowhere. And that's the other part of it too. And I know a lot of that is Dion and him bringing that to the team, but I find myself watching because Colorado is a team that's exciting to me that frankly, there really hasn't been teams like this in the past. I think I'm going to find myself watching it and I think it's this is this is gonna feel weird to say it's because I'm looking to see if it falls apart against Colorado State. I, th- what to see if there is a I like misstep that idea. You along want to see the, the way. You want to see the train wreck, huh? Yeah, but well, I, it's not so much to want to see the train wreck, but like I I believe in what I'm seeing from Deion Sanders in this team. But there's a lot of hype, especially falling a win against freaking Nebraska. That is called hate watching, and I do a lot of it. I, it's not so much hate watching because like. I do like that Colorado's good. I do like that it's a new program that's now on the face of the map for college football. But there is still that kind of in the back of my mind of, okay, what happens if like this game is close for just a little bit? Then what is going to happen with this team? Over, I don't want to say overhyped, but hyped up a lot, going up against a non expected competitive team in Colorado State. I mean, it's what a 23-point line. Like, this is supposed to be a blowout in yeah. favor of Colorado. And if they're, look, if they're dominating at halftime, I'm turning the yeah, game off. Yeah, I was going to say, I'm, I'm not elsewhere. watching start to finish. But I'm watching more so just to see, okay, is this going to be closer than I'm expecting? Is there a little too much hype going on right now, even though I do believe they are still a really good football team? We got, sorry, I was just going to ask, how much of this is the sports betting side of it, too? Because, like, Colorado, did they come into the season as underdogs? Yes. So you come into the season as underdogs – Teams are probably leaning or people are leaning towards you to place their bets. We're going to watch a lot more of that. When they start to become the favorite, do bets go away from them and you're not watching that game as much? So I think against Nebraska, there was some of that for sure. Because people saw them against TCU. The sports sports books had to adjust. And last week, that line was, was it three points, three and a half points in Mm -hmm. favor of Colorado? People that watched Nebraska were like, I don't understand. Nebraska was not particularly impressive in week number one. And Colorado just took down t- TCU, who went to the playoff last week. So your casual sports fan is wondering, wh- why is this line the way that it was? And the casual sports fan was 100% correct. They dominated against Nebraska. I think the same thing is going to be true against Colorado State. They're just more talented than Colorado State is. Somebody on the text line says, what kind of a question is this? If they pulled those kinds of numbers against Nebraska, then imagine the number against Colorado State when college game day is there. Yeah. Nebraska is not the same as Colorado State. Nebraska has in and of itself some interesting storylines this season, and it is a national brand. As much as Nebraska has fallen off the the face of the earth in terms of the notoriety of the program, guys, Nebraska used to be a huge program, and it has a national fan base around the country as a result of that. Colorado State does not. Colorado State barely even writes in Colorado. So this is not the same as playing against Nebraska. Next week's game is when I think there's going to be a huge number. Colorado versus Oregon, that's yeah. going to be massive because mm-hmm. now we know Colorado's good. We know Oregon is really good as well. Bo Nix is in that game. Like that one's going to be massive. But this week, I think it probably takes a little bit of a step back. Like I probably won't watch much of this game other than the very beginning just because there's no other big ones on that late at night. But it, I think that's the only like if it was a 630 game, I probably wouldn't even watch that game. To be totally honest with you guys. Yeah, because there's just other alternatives there. Yeah. I do want to give a quick statement on Eli Trinkwitz. Uh Because I wasn't in yesterday. I know you guys talked about Mizzou to open up the show. 
I didn't hear the segment, so I can't speak to how far in you went on Mizzou. I'll kind of summarize for you real quick. We thought, you know, 7-8 win team, they're like a 6-win team. All right, done. And I hate that he's so scared to coach. That's what I want to hit on. Mm -hmm. The way that he coaches, I'm not saying he himself, but the style of coaching that we have seen from him at Missouri, specifically over the last couple of seasons, has been cowardly. And I don't understand why that is. He doesn't push the football down the field. This has been a consistent theme. This is not just with Brady Cook. It was the same thing with Connor Bazelak and, frankly, with Kirby Moore at Fresno State. Looked back back at the numbers for with his quarterback last year. They didn't push the ball down the field either. They do not go for it on fourth down, no matter the opponent, no matter the situation. They punt. They believe that every drive that ends in a kick, whether that's a point after try, a field goal, or a punt, that is a successful drive. That is a loser's mentality. And if you continue playing that way, you're going to get your ass handed to you against Kansas State. You will lose big against LSU. You will find a way to lose some of those 50-50 games against Kentucky, South Carolina, Florida, Arkansas. The ceiling for you as a team every year, no matter the talent that you're able to bring in, is eight wins. That is the ceiling when you play the way that they have over the last couple of seasons. I think Eli Drinkwitz is a perfectly capable coach. I don't think he's a great one, but I think he can be a pretty good one at Mizzou. But he is coaching with one hand tied behind his back every time that he operates the way that he did again against Middle Tennessee, dude. It is embarrassing to see them going out and making especially the fourth down decisions that they have. He is putting himself, he is putting his quarterback, he is putting his team behind the eight ball by coaching the way that he has. And it's got to get fixed. Because otherwise this week, when you go up against, the for the first time this year, a legitimate threat in Kansas State, and that team is good, man. I don't know how much you guys have seen of them. They are a very good college football team, and they play soundly. You will get your ass kicked because of that. You better go out there playing unafraid and you better go out there coaching as if you are unafraid because that's what it's going to take against a team like that. And against many teams down the stretch, the rest of this way, I was so disappointed by the way that team looked against middle Tennessee state. It's not even about the result 23 and 19. Forget that. It's the way that you went about it. It's punting on fourth and two from midfield when you're playing middle Tennessee state and you got nothing to lose fourth and one from the four. Like, come on, dude. It is time to start getting aggressive. Trust your guys. He's so terrified of being wrong that he's not willing to allow himself to be right occasionally. So that's my thoughts on Mizzou. It was a super disappointing way to go about that. They won the game and it felt like they lost because Mm -hmm. of the way that they went about that thing. We'll hit the rewind next. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's run it back with a daily rewind on BK and Ferrario. Brought to you by Stewart's American Mortgage. Google the bagel loan. Featuring zero fees and zero closing costs. September 22nd out of the Anheuser-Busch Brewery. You'll get fired up for the blue season at an outdoor street party. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> I wish you would have ended that statement the way that you were about to. At an outdoor street party. It's going to include appearances by Jordan Minnington, Colton Pareko, Braden Shin, Robert Thomas, Justin Falk, Kevin Hayes, Craig Berube, and some Blues alumni, plus food trucks, giveaways, and so much more. Blues and Brews, the tickets are on sale now. Get full details at 101ESPN.com. It's presented by Bud Light, 101 ESPN, and 92.3 WIL. I can't wait to meet BK at the street party. <sighs> In just a few minutes, we'll give you a chance to win a four-pack of tickets to next Tuesday night's Budweiser Bash for Cardinals versus Brewers. It's going to feature a limited edition Brendan Ryan bobblehead giveaway, so stay tuned for that. I wish I could have had that for an end-of-show cut. We'll use it tomorrow. What are we going to rewind with What a farty it's going to be. Hey, if you missed anything from today's show, check it out on the podcast page, 101ESPN.com, the free 101 ESPN app. Don't go to YouTube. We're not over there right now. <laughs> There's an imposter afoot. Yeah. It's all presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Center. All right, let's hit the rewind. The brewery is close to Farty Far Farty, so maybe that's what he was thinking. Hmm. Is that what you were thinking? 60 Far Farty? Probably. So earlier today, speaking of the blues and parties, um, <laughs> Tory Krug, whoa, hurt his footy. He's gonna be out. <laughs> that's not for a good transition. <laughs> at least the next few months, or excuse me, a few weeks. Whoa, Alex, I think it opens up an opportunity for Scott Perunovich. In all seriousness, yeah. And if he's able to take advantage of it, I don't know what he's gonna be like. Can he be a top pairing defenseman? I, I don't think so. But he can be a part of your third pairing, and he can be a guy that helps you significantly on the power play, a weakness that this team had a year ago. What do you think he needs to do in order to take advantage of this opportunity? Because it's not like we're talking about potentially Tory Krug missing much of like the regular season. So he's not going to get a ton of playing time and a, a real meaningful game. Yeah. It should be a preseason action. What, what do you think he needs to do in order to win over these coaches? He's going to have to be the best player on the ice in these preseason games. And if I'm him, you have eight, nine preseason games. I'm playing in six to seven of them because... I want to make sure that the coaches always see my name. And I know that you're going to take a couple of games off. You're going to get other guys in there. But if I'm Perunovic, I'm begging to play in every game. Because frankly, I have to show myself. I played 19 games in the NHL. These coaches don't know a whole lot of me. Right now, I'm just, I'm... I'm a pawn in their game. Like, they don't know how they can use me. I need to show them that I'm going to be an offensive juggernaut. And other than staying healthy, if I'm Scott Perunovich, there's one thing on my mind. Put pucks on net. If I watch Adam Fox, if I watch Quinn Hughes, who I can see resemblance of Perunovich to those guys, they're always putting pucks on net. I don't care if it's slap shot, a snap shot, or just a low little floater to try and get deflections. If you're in the offensive zone, put pucks on net. Don't make the costly mistakes. And if I'm Scott Perunovich, I'm making sure that everybody knows my name so that when Tory Krug says, hey, I'm good to go, guys, Baruby and his staff are like, fine, but Perunovich isn't coming out of the lineup. This one comes from the 573. Guys, Perunovich's opportunity was already open. He was always going to have his chance to see what he can or could do. There is some truth to that. However, that opening just got even wider. In fact, it got it, it is now in a place where it's not just an opening. It's it's an opportunity that exists for him. Yeah. And it previously it was going to require him really outperforming a bunch of dudes and it was going to take a 
a limited sample size in order to do that. With Tory Krug out of the lineup, he's now going to get every first power play opportunity. He's now going to be on the ice, hopefully, for some of these preseason games for like 20 minutes. He's going to have some real runway where he's going to be counted upon early on in the preseason. So I, I do think the opportunity changes, and that can change the way he's able to play when he's on the ice as well. He's going to feel more free. And so I I think that it changes a little bit of his mindset going into camp, and I'm excited to see it, man. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I disagree with it a little bit. I don't think his opportunity was there. I think, frankly, they looked at this as uh, Scott Perunovich. If he impresses us, he'll get it. I think Scott Perunovich coming into camp was headed to the AHL unless he outperformed everybody. Now he's on this team because they don't know what Tory Krug's going to be and they need power play help. And now he's got to leave that performance that states I'm going to be here when Tory Krug comes back. Hey, now is your opportunity to win a four pack of tickets to next Tuesday night's Budweiser Bash for Cardinals versus Brewers. If you are texture number 101 at 314 Three nine 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 six four six with the correct answer to the following question. You'll be getting those tickets to the Budweiser Bash game that features a limited edition Brendan Ryan bobblehead. Earlier today during the junk drawer, we were talking about a bar that was giving away free drinks. And then suddenly at the end of the game, those drinks were not free. Where was that bar? If you have the correct state to the uh, to answer that question, you will be getting the four pack of tickets to next Tuesday night's Budweiser Bash. For Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. We'll try to do better tomorrow at 11 a.m. The Fast Lane's coming up next here on 101 ESPN. You've been listening to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.